Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Timing of upper and lower half are just totally off. So throwing a lot of middle pitches, throwing a lot of pitches foot outside, you know, you can't swing at. Find them falling behind way too many counts, a lot of 2-0 counts today, and, and uh, you know, just it's not good pitching. So got some work to do, got some homework to do, and we'll get to work. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. That audio, or that voice rather, is Adam Wainwright after another... Less than stellar start from Wayno yesterday. This one coming against the Washington Nationals. And Alex, in his last two starts, he has now gone a total of 10 innings. These starts are almost identical in terms of what he did. Allowed 18 hits in total, two walks, struck out just four, and allowed a total of eight earned runs. I want to say this on the front end. Am I concerned about Adam Wainwright? Not really, No. Is this something that I do believe is worthy of monitoring over his next couple of starts, especially as he's going up against most likely based on the way that the schedule is kind of setting up a couple of contenders? Yeah, I think this is something worth keeping an eye on. Where are you at on Adam Wainwright right now compared to where you were? I don't know, a week and a half ago. I mean, you're starting to get concerned, but I think the way you are with Adam Wainwright is the way you were with Yadier Molina two weeks ago where it's like, uh, well, I was legitimately panicking on that. <laughs> I think some people might be with Wayno, but me personally, you look at it and you say, okay, but it's Adam Wainwright and he's going to find a way through. I think the more concerning factor on it was it was against the Nationals and the Cubs, two underwhelming teams, whereas he actually had a really solid performance against the Atlanta Braves. So I'm not sitting here saying there's no way Adam Wainwright's starting in a playoff game for me, which I don't think anybody else is. But, I mean, if you get two more starts like this from Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty performs well, I think you start to have conversations about switching things up in your pitching setup once the playoffs start. You think that, I think there is a zero. I, I'm just saying this on my end. I can't speak for you. I can't speak for Ollie. I think there's a 0% chance that Wayno does not start in the wild card. No, I don't think that either. I'm not saying that Adam Wainwright won't start, but I'm saying that Adam Wainwright might not be starting game one of a playoff series. I think you might be looking at it a little bit differently if Wainwright continues to struggle. Yeah, I have no concerns for Adam Wainwright and what you've seen. Is it worth monitoring? Yeah, because you're coming down the home stretch. Like, But I, I'm still over here smoking my cigar, got my martini in my other hand. I'm, no, my tight. No my tie. Not to a my tie guy. Went to the martini, shaken, not stirred. Uh, but I, I, I have no concerns about Adam Wainwright and his stuff. I get it, he hasn't been started the last two starts, but every pitcher goes through this at some point. And just the fact of the matter of previously before that, I mean, you look at it, he had solid start, six and two thirds, two earned runs, six innings, two earned runs, seven, seven innings, no earned runs, and then that nine inning, one earned run start. So like. 
for whatever reason, something's just gone awry. I think he will fix this, whether it be in a bullpen session or if it comes down to just continuing to pitch in games. But I, I have no concerns of Adam Wainwright. If his next like two starts go awry and it is because it's against the contenders, then yeah, then I'll start to have my concerns. But like watching that game last night, I was like, okay, it's just a bad day for Adam Wainwright. Like he's still the guy I trust to go game one in the wild card series. It's really the first time all year that he's had back to back bad starts, if you want to call it that. And so I guess from that perspective, I do understand why there is some concern. And it's it's understandable. Like, we're now into September. There's less runway for him to be able to get this thing right. He told you in that audio coming back, yeah, there's some stuff I got to figure out. Mechanically, I'm out of whack right now. So you look at the calendar, you look at the schedule, you say to yourself, all right, you got about three weeks to be able to get this thing corrected. That's maybe four starts remaining the rest of the year. So, yeah, the, the pressure is on to get this corrected as soon as possible. But... You mentioned this, Tanner. You look at what he did in the month of September, and this is why I do think it's different than Yachty. Yachty had not been good all year long offensively. He had a four-month stretch of just not producing, and then there were the injuries. There was the weird going back to Puerto Rico, not once, but twice. Um, so I, I think it's a little different. With Wayno. as recently as the month of September, he threw 40 innings and allowed a total of 11 earned runs. That was good for a 2.5 ERA, and in that span, he had a game at Wrigley, he, played, he pitched against both Atlanta and New York. And oh, by the way, he had a gym against Milwaukee thrown in there as well. So he went up against contenders, pitched very well, and looked like he was about to be, once again, the ace of the staff down the stretch. So my level of concern, scale of like 1 to 10 on Wayno, is that around a 3 right now? And I don't know that it's going to increase a whole lot from there. Now, if he goes out and gets his teeth kicked in by Milwaukee, sure. Now we can start talking about increasing that level of concern for him. But Wayno's had these before. He probably will have them again later on in his career, probably next year. It's, I'm not too worried about it until it becomes something where you're one start away from the playoffs and this is still happening. All right, now we can talk about what that means for the playoff rotation. Just think it's an internal competition right now, and it's not saying that somebody's going to get the boot because I don't think that's the case, but I think if you continue to see struggles, and I would probably put it at about a four for me in terms of concern with Adam Wainwright, but you're just right now, I mean, we had the conversations about Miles Michaelis where he might get bumped back a little bit in terms of the playoff format the setup for the pitching staff and if Wayno struggles and the other guys perform well like I I don't know if it comes down to well this guy has my confidence I think it's more of who's pitching the best once you enter postseason play but who's going to take that spot because like I, I get you with Wayno or with Montgomery and Flaherty are you saying it's going to be Montgomery Flaherty and Michaelis potentially I because I can't see a scenario where I would go with Michaelis over Wayno I mean I can't right now but if you get two more starts where he's struggling then maybe even then, I because I, I, I don't disagree because when you get to the playoffs, I think it is you play the best players that are out there, but then there's always that one or two guys on a team that it's hard to sell to the to the fan base. And, and Wayne is one of those guys because of the was really good all season long, ran into a September struggle in this scenario that we're playing out. But it's still Adam Wainwright, the face of the franchise. It'd be the same thing as like um, they would never do this, but starting Kisner over Yachty in the playoffs. Like, May it make sense? Yeah, but I just can't see him doing it because of what we're talking about, because of the icon that he is to the franchise, and how do you sell that to a fan base? Same as we were talking about the Braves. Max Free's not really an icon of the Atlanta Braves, but he's been one of your best pitchers all year. And sure, like the Kershaw Cardinals... not throwing in a wild card series for the Dodgers. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah, against the Cardinals, especially. Tina kills left-handed pitching. You can't sell your fan base on not starting one of your best pitchers all year because he's just left-handed. You just can't do it. I think that's where it is with Adam Wainwright. But I, I could see a scenario to Alex's point of maybe you don't bump him out of the 
top three, but maybe you bump them back a start. Maybe it's, well, we want to try and get a 1-0 lead, and let's go with our best arm right now, and Montgomery, that's Montgomery. Maybe at home. Yeah, and then we'll, then we'll go to Wayne right in game two. Yeah, that's what I, I'm I saying think with it. That I could see. The, well, that's different, yeah. Yeah, bumping them out of the top three, I, like 0% chance, and like you guys were doing your scale of 1-10 to 10 on the panic. It's the doctor hands me the scale now. Point to me where what your scale <laughs> of concern is. I'm throwing that thing away. What's the away. pain threshold I'm here? Throwing, I'm throwing that scale away. It's a zero. I, I have no concerns. So if you are concerned about the Cardinals right now, it's probably because they damn near lost three out of four against the Nationals. It's okay. <laughs> Here's Anthony Stalter reacting to that loss yesterday on the fast lane. The Nationals are one of two teams <laughs> eliminated from postseason contention. It's the start of September. <sighs> they come in here and they kind of stomp your face. You're right, Marsh. They should have won three or four. Yeah, it's embarrassing. I really wanted some momentum after last night, man. That was great. That was like, mm-hmm. that was the win of the season. Uh-huh. Granted, against the Nationals, but still, Jamie, that was fun. Today, with I got a headache now. Are you guys at all concerned that the Cardinals are going through that low of September? Like, you go out, you, you play against Chicago at home. You have that awesome win on Sunday. I understand it's at home. But it's against the Washington Nationals. Nobody's real excited for it. Now you're going out to Pittsburgh. You're going to play three games. Uh, I, I love PNC Park. It's awesome. Pittsburgh, fun town. I, I like going out to Pittsburgh. Let's be honest, though. There's going to be like 10,000 fans in the stands. 8,000 of them are going to be Cardinals fans. The only reason they're there is to see whether or not Albert Pujols is able to get to potentially 700 sooner rather than later. And then coming up next week, you've got Cincinnati again for a five-game oh. set. Oh. Like, I do think some of this might just be a, a obvious spot for a letdown. I, I think that's part of what we've been watching over the last few days. This was like two years ago when the Blues had to play the Arizona Coyotes seven yes. times in a oh. row, and they kept losing, and people were like, this team is awful. No, the team was bad, though. <laughs> and they, they weren't great, but they played against they Arizona, the and Arizona was just they were terrible and it's like what do you expect when you're playing a team that is so bad that you know has nothing to play for you're going out there assuming you're going to beat that team I don't know if that's the case against Washington I don't know if that's the case in baseball because I mean we see it a lot where even bad teams can have really good offensive games I I do think that you hit that low in September I do think that you know Ollie's comment yesterday of how the focus is on chasing that number two. Maybe you got a little bit too far ahead of your skis in a game like that against the Washington Nationals. But in all reality, the Cardinals did score six runs. Wayne only gave up four. That was a bullpen game more than anything. It it looks worse than what it actually was because of the four runs given up towards the end of that game. Yeah, I, I don't have too too much concern. Like when they go on the like, am I expecting a letdown series in Pittsburgh? Kind of actually, if I'm going to be honest, because it's on the road. As you mentioned, nobody's there when they're home at Bush. It's a little different because there's kind of that. I know they're playing bad teams and it's hard to get amped up for those games, but you got the crowd that's going to feed off of the Albert Pujols, seeing Yachty and Wayno. So seeing them lose two of four, a little concerning, but not that much because they just swept the Cubs at home. And that would be another one that I would expect to be a letdown series. Had they lost two or three of the Cubs and then split with the Nationals, I would have been taking that panic scale back and been pointing at about the five. But I, I don't think there's too much reason to be concerned. I, I think it's just that's part of the year where it's like, eh, do we, I don't want, they don't want to be here. I really don't want to kick their butt. Let's just go through the motions. Yeah, it, the thing, if you are concerned about the Cardinals right now, it's the runners in scoring position funk thing. Again, we've done this before. Last time that it happened, I said, hey, I'm not super worried about this. They've been good with runners in scoring position all year. This is not a situation where you say to yourself, hey, 
they're bad in these situations. No, they didn't just suddenly become bad in them. They had a really rough stretch. And over their last eight games, nine games now, they're batting under 200 with runners in scoring position. And if that continues the rest of the season, man, the Cardinals are going to be in a bad spot. Like, there's just no way to overcome something like that. I don't think that it's going to continue. I think they're going to be fine in those situations. It'll come around. The regression will hit them in a positive way. So when that happens, they'll get back to being the same team that they were previously. The bullpen something to keep in mind, but most of the blowups have come from guys that you don't expect to be in high leverage situations down the Sorry, stretch James. either. I, I think James Nail is probably not going to be I, for long in this I bullpen. I supported the motion, and now I'm... I'm sorry. I think you tried to put him in the circle too, didn't you? We're all yeah. wilting now it's from from that guy. take. So for two. The, they'll be all right. I'm not super worried about it. I do think this weekend is a bit of a letdown spot. Quintana, though, with the revenge game coming up on Sunday. So we'll see what that looks like for him. Can you have a revenge game against the Pirates when they're bad, that bad? It's a fair question. Yeah, I was going to say, Quintana's probably like, get me the hell out of <laughs> yeah, here. It's like, I don't want to go back and pitch here. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're playing a game of Believe It or Not. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. At 1215, we will give you our picks of the week here on 101 ESPN. We have some new punishments for this year each and every week. The loser of our picks for for that weekend's football games will have a punishment the following week. So we'll get into that. Some of the rules for it coming up at 1215. But next, speaking of football, we got our first NFL game of the season last night and Tanner is sobbing. We'll tell you why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Keeps it, pumps, runs, breaks the plane. Touchdown, Buffalo. Josh Allen took care of it himself. Allen stepping up and now floating it downfield and digs it behind the secondary. Stumbles, but brings it in. Buffalo touchdown. There is nothing more embarrassing than getting run over, stiff-armed, or played by a quarterback. Unless that quarterback is Josh Allen, because then the rest of the world, your team, and anybody watching gets it, that ain't no regular quarterback. Play-by-play courtesy of NBC yesterday as the Bills beat the Rams 31-10. to That voice you just heard there was Ryan Clark on ESPN after the game talking about, about Josh Allen truck-sticking the entire Rams defense last night. Tanner, you got to answer for this, man. Your boys did not look prepared to go out there and play in that game. You look back at it. The Rams gave up seven sacks to a team that did not blitz a single time. Right, Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey. Allowed Allen Robinson a, invisible. A perfect passer rating of 158.3. He was targeted seven times. He allowed six receptions for 125 yards and two touchdowns through the air. He was getting cooked out there like my toast this morning. Tanner, what do you make of what you saw last night from the Rams in their 31 to 10 law 10 loss at home in their first game since the Super Bowl? One, they never truly have a home game. But two, it's, what are you talking about? The Rock was there. Uh, by the way, what the hell is he doing there? We saw the Super Bowl thing he did. Uh, it worked, didn't it? It did. That's fair. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to try and I'm not going to like extremely panic, but there was some really concerning signs from the Lambs, Rams last night. Did you One, just call them the Lambs? They, yeah, they were. Did you see them get cooked? They were like BK's toast. Super Bowl um, champion. I thought they were the toilet bowl champions. Yeah, I. The offensive line was a bit of concern last night after that performance. And what's weird about it is I was telling Alexis is like they're returning all five of those guys that are, were starting last night were on the team last year. Now two of them are kind of new starters. No boom, one of them he started a handful of games for Whitworth when he was out due to injury. 
but he looked good when he did that. And then I can remember who the other one was. I think it was the right guards, the new guy that's starting, but he was on the team last year. He ain't going to be there much longer. <laughs> no, I know. He Their probably should be on the bench. Right guard ain't going to be there very much yeah, either. I, the offensive line was a concern for me. Stafford, I know like you look at his numbers and they weren't impressive at all. Uh, that was what he did for most of last season was play kind of like that, kind of those mediocre performances, and then he got hot at the right time. So I'm not too concerned about that. He looked terrible last night. He did look bad, but (laughs) I'm not concerned. The concerning part for me was the defense. It was just wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. They couldn't stop the Bills' offense, and I expected more from the Rams, especially Aaron Donald. They kept Donald in check, and maybe I think part of that was just Josh Allen played that really well. The Bills' offense was really solid. My my biggest concern, though, was just the offense. The offense looks so out of sync. The depth chart I texted you guys is the depth chart at wide out for the Rams last night was cup, 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 scrotic. Like, that was basically what Which their wide ridiculous. receiver depth was. Allen Robinson was non-existent. The running game was awful last night. Sorry for you Cam Akers uh, fantasy holders out there. That was a sad showing. He's gone. Yeah, <laughs> three carries, no yards. That's equals zero points. I, I don't know. That was a tough one to watch last night. I, that's the most... Unprepared, I've seen the Rams under the Sean McVay era. And it's the first time, A, he's lost on the uh, opener in his career, and it's the first time ever as a head coach that he's been below 500 with his Oof. record. I mean, they've just, I, I don't know, man. They they have, that defense is not set up the way that it was last season, and rightfully so when you take out a couple of pieces on it. And I know it was the first game, but, I mean, Jalen Ramsey's making all of the money on that team, and Jalen Ramsey was worked. And it wasn't just he was worked over by one guy, he was worked over by multiple players because he was playing in the slot the most of the game. And the difference was Stafford just kept going back to all reliable. It was just Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup. And I get it, but that was the difference between watching Stafford play and watching Josh Allen play because Josh Allen spread the ball. I mean, everyone was getting it. And with the exception of two turnovers, which were the interceptions, and the one was just a drop pass yeah. from the wide receiver, and the other one was a mix-up between the wide receiver and Allen trying to force the ball – I don't know if the Rams get one turnover on downs there. I mean, the Rams could not stop that team. So my two biggest concerns on that one, like I expected that from the Bills. I expected the Bills to go out there and prove that they were a Super Bowl contending team. But the Rams, they're going to have to fix their offensive line and they're going to have to fix their entire defensive scheme because that didn't did not look like a team that is going to compete for a Super Bowl once again. Yeah, and there's no fixing an offensive line in season. Once you once you're here, like they're they could maybe go out there and acquire a left tackle. Like you look at what the Texans have right now, Laramie Tunsil probably available at some point this year if they wanted to go that route. And they'll look better next week. They're taking on the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons stink. You're gonna we're gonna have a same conversation next maybe. Monday. <laughs> And the Atlanta Falcons are terrible. Uh, we'll have the same conversation next Monday, and we'll say to ourselves, all right, may- maybe the Rams are going to be okay. Let we'll, we'll give this some time. I, I, I am not judging them based on what they do against the Falcons. The Rams are supposed to be a Super Bowl contender, and what we saw last night was not what a legitimate Super Bowl contender should look like. I think that was more about the Rams than it was the Bills. I still think the Bills are really, really good, and we all knew that that was going to be the case going into the season. But last night told me really very little about the Buffalo Bills and everything about the Rams. That offensive line is a disaster. The defensive line really looked like it missed, right now at least, uh, Von Miller, because they were not generating any pressure from from the edge. Von almost broke Stafford twice. And then you look at what they have at wide receiver. They looked like they were missing Odell Beckham. Where's Allen Robinson? That was supposed to be one of your big-time offseason additions. He finished with two targets in the game, in a game in which they were getting blown out, basically after the first half. He was non-existent. And he, he, I think we were talking about this in the office. 
I don't know if it's a trust thing with Stafford, but twice he missed him over the yep. middle on two bootlegs, both of them, which I saw I saw it on the screen at the time. I'm going, just throw him the ball. He's right there. He's wide open. Get him involved. The second reception that was thrown to Allen Robinson was just junk time where it was third and, I don't know, 17, and he just heaved it into the back corner of the end zone hoping Robinson yep. could make a play. Like, there was no scheme set up for Allen Robinson. It was all directed either to Daryl Henderson or Cooper Cup. And I'm sorry, but that's not a recipe for success. No, and you, you have to get him more involved. And I think they will eventually, but... That was concerning. What what we saw last night, like we mentioned in the in the first segment, what's your level of concern with Wayno? My level of concern with the Rams is significantly higher than it is with Adam Wainwright. I would say it's at like a five or a six right now, with the chance to go even higher than that, depending on what happens with this these offensive line issues. Because that is, again, that is not something you fix in season. Your offensive line is either good as a unit or it's bad as a unit. They could get a little better, but if you've got a personnel issue and they do right now, it appears, who, buddy? Good luck. Andrew Whitworth was much more important, it appears, than what we anticipated. I never thought they needed a 51-year-old left tackle to play for their team to keep them uh, competitive, but they kind of do. So let's get into some of our official NFL predictions for the season. I, I, going into last night, had the Bills as the winner of the AFC East. I also had the Rams as the winner of the NFC West. I'm not coming off of either of those predictions after last night, but... Let's go through some of these. Are you guys with me on the Bills as the winner coming out of the AFC East this year? Absolutely. In the AFC North, who do you have? I think this is one of the most open divisions this year. I think this is the Ravens. I do, too. I think they're going to be healthier this year. As much as I love Cincinnati, I just I don't think anybody's going to be able to stop a Lamar Jackson after not signing this extension. We're all on the same page. Two for two. Let's see if we can go three for three. Who do you have in the AFC South? I got the Colts. I was going to say, I got the Colts as well. Three for three. Who do you have in the AFC West? Uh, that is the Chargers. I've got the Chiefs still. Woo, two for three. I have the Chargers as well. Um, I, I lean towards the Chargers and I lean towards the Broncos a little bit. The only thing I, the only reason I fear that I can't pick the two of them, one is I feel like I've done this a lot with the Chargers and then they just break my heart. And yeah. then two with the Broncos, I think there's going to be that learning period with Russell Wilson getting them in sync with the offense. It's going to take a while. The Chiefs, though they don't have Tyreek Hill, and they've got some new weapons around Patrick Mahomes, I trust Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid to get something I, figured out early on the year. I think the Chargers fixed their one biggest need, and that was stopping the run. Mm-hmm. With Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson and a bunch of dudes, I, I just I don't see a weak spot with the Chargers like I don't see a weak spot with the Bills. Now, J.C. Jackson's hurt. <laughs> Apparently, he's not going to be playing this it's, week. It's which fine. Uh, He'll be back. It sounds about right for the Chargers. They're charging right now. I do have the Chiefs making the playoffs. I also have the Raiders making the playoffs. Two of my three <laughs> Wild, or yeah, two of my three wild card teams come from the AFC West. My third one is the Dolphins, and this goes into schedules. I just think that there's going to be somebody that surprises us this year. The Dolphins have an easy enough schedule that I think maybe they're going to be able to use that defense and those short that short passing game with the playmakers running after the catch. Those are my three wild card teams from the AFC: the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Dolphins. Alex, who do you have as your wild? Card Mine are teams? the Chiefs, the Broncos, and the Bengals. Okay. I say mine's pretty similar, except of course I have Casey win the division. Mine's the Broncos, the Chargers, and the Bengals are my three wild. Yeah, I just think the Dolphins are gonna are gonna end. I just up don't short trust there. Tua. I, I, I don't, don't trust either Tua at all, and, and that's why I don't see them getting in. And unlike the NFC, where you can kind of probably like clunk your way into the wild card picture, I don't think you're gonna be able to do that in the AFC. I think that there's gonna be a cannibalism in the AFC West, where all four teams are kind of eating up on each other, honestly. 
And I think that's going to open up an opportunity for a team from one of the other divisions. I'm sure that a lot of people are going to say, hey, BK, how can you possibly not have the the Bengals coming out of the, the AFC North after last year they went to the well, Super Bowl? You don't Bowl. like Zach Taylor. I get it. Um, I, I just think that there's going to be some surprises in the AFC this year because of what we just talked about. It's a really difficult uh, conference. And I think the Dolphins can do what the Steelers did last year. Nobody thought the Steelers were actually a very good football team, and somehow they ended up in the playoffs. That's kind of the the formula that I see for the Dolphins going into the year. All right, NFC side of things. I have coming out of the NFC East, the Eagles winning that division. Alex? Same. Jordan Davis represent Eagles. I should have seen that one coming. I'm still <laughs> going with the Cowboys. I don't trust anybody enough in the East to back off the Cowboys train, even though I'm concerned. I saw Prescott got listed on the injury report yesterday. <laughs> well, Talk about a red flag. Yeah, also. Coming. <laughs> Talk to me when Sean Payton's the head coach next year, and then I'll pick the Cowboys to win. NFC North, I'm going Packers. I just can't get away from it. I, I believe in that defense. I think it's going to be enough for them with the running game to be able to win that division. And I actually have them with the best record in the NFC this year. I'm actually going the Vikings here. I think the Viking, I think this is the season that the Vikings overstepped the Packers because of their offense. See, I'm still going Packers, but I think it's going to be really close with the Vikings. And I think their new head coach is going to help In fact, there. I got the Vikings winning this week week one over the Packers. Oh, I like that. I think I did too, actually. All right. NFC South. This is an interesting division. A lot of people have suddenly been taking the the New Orleans Saints to be able to win this. Out of the blue. <laughs> I am still sticking with the Buccaneers. I'm not betting against Tom Brady. I have the Bucs winning the South. I'm going to pick. I'm going to take the Saints, actually. Okay. Um, I, I think their defense is set up well. I think it, all signs are pointing towards Michael Thomas playing. And we talked about how they have a huge amount of wide receiver core. Uh, and I wonder if Tom Brady's a little fragile this year, if him and Giselle are having marital issues. I'm still singing with Tom Brady. I've bet against the go too many times, so I'm gonna not going to learn the hard way again. I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Bucks, but I do think New Orleans keeps it close. Are we all sticking with the Rams in the West? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, the Seahawks. Drew Locke. All the no, way. it was Geno Smith. Remember? My three wild card oh, yeah, teams. <laughs> Vikings, Saints. I'm sticking with you on them, Alex. I do think that the Saints are going to have a better year than I originally expected after looking things over a little more. And then the 49ers. So I've got Minnesota, New Orleans, and San Francisco as my three wild card teams in the NFC. Mine are Vikings, Bucks, and Cowboys. Oh, I'm sorry, Packers, Bucks, and Cowboys, because I have the Vikings winning that division. So I, I have the Cardinals and 49ers missing it. Yeah, I, I've got the Cardinals missing as well. I'm torn between. I think I'm out on this. That I sucks think, because Kyler's my quarterback in fantasy. <laughs> I think Minnesota and New Orleans get in. I, I because I think, like I said, I think both those teams are going to compete in their divisions pretty close, so they'll get in. And then I've got it. I think Philly gets in. I don't trust Hurts enough to where I think he wins the division, but I think he can get the Eagles back in the playoffs like he did last year. I'm not sold on Arizona and the team that I think is going to be the team that we're talking about a lot as a team that could get in in the wild card, but I think ends up having a really disappointing year. Me, I would circle San Francisco. That has the that has all the powder there to become a powder keg that just blows up and it blows up in Kyle Shanahan's face and it just goes poorly. All right, last thing here. Super Bowl prediction. Who you got winning the Super Bowl? Who do you have them playing? I... I'm going to get a lot of crap for this, I'm sure. I have the Chiefs beating the Packers in the Super Bowl. Bills versus Eagles with the Bills winning it. Jordan Davis train all aboard. They lost the Super Bowl. Yeah, they did, but they got there. Oh, okay. Sorry. That would be a successful year for the Eagles. That would be very successful. No, and and joking aside, I have Bills versus Vikings, Bills winning it. If Jalen Hurts takes them to the Super Bowl, he's definitely going to be their starter again next year, right? Unless Lamar Jackson becomes available. I, yes. I've got it. I've got the Bills getting there, and I think they blow away whoever comes out of the NFC. And I think it's going to be Tampa Bay that comes out of the NFC. I don't. I don't. One tr- last ride for. I, yeah, I don't feel. Comfor- I don't feel wow. comfortable with any Super Bowl pick coming out of the NFC. But I, I think whoever gets there, I think they're going to meet the Bills. I think the Bills are going to wipe the floor with them. If he and Giselle split, we might have five more years of Tom Brady. <laughs> Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line. In fifteen minutes, we'll get into some Ask Us Anything sports or otherwise. Get those questions in now on the Air Comfort Service X line. Also, if you've got a scenario for Believe It or Not, we'll do that next. You're on one hundred and one ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm a I really needed this after Illinois blew it. Rams stuff. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing. Uh, sorry, I only memorized Believe It or Not part. Man, six five seven eight zero is the comfort service X line for Believe It or Not. We'll get to ask us anything coming up here in about ten minutes or so. Let's start out with this one, guys. Believe it or not, both of the local schools, Mizzou and Illinois, pick up wins this week and give us optimism going into week three of the college football season. <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe it, but I don't believe in Illinois. So I'm going to uh, yeah, say I'm not the team it. not to believe it. That's that's the team. I think Mizzou makes it interesting. Even if they lose, I think they give it optimism. I'm not going to believe this. I think both teams lose this week. Damn. I hate to say. <laughs> I, I'll say Man, this. You had a, a rough week, buddy. I'll say this. It has been a rough week. Uh, I'll say this. I think Missouri will keep it close with Kansas State, but I think they will ultimately lose that game. I know Illinois is favored. I'm still shocked by that. I, I think they lose that one by as four. well. That's not way one, too, not two, not three, but four. Virginia, That's way too Virginia many. must be really bad, but I still can't see it. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you this. I, I thought Indiana was really bad I too until too. thought Wyoming. Oh wait, we did. So Connor Basilak was just like, "Hey, you remember me?" Yeah, I'm not believing this. Who does Indiana play this week? Do they have a bye? No, they got to go Idaho. <laughs> they need a week off after that big win over Illinois. I'm not believing this either. You guys know I'm expecting that Kansas State's going to beat Mizzou by about 10 points this weekend. I do think Illinois gets a win. I think Illinois beats Virginia. I also thought Illinois would beat Indiana. And then, well, they Mizzou'd it. So, can't speak to that. But Hopefully they block this week. Well, fingers crossed. (laughs) It'll Um, be the other two offensive linemen that don't. (laughs) I I think that if they both win this weekend, though... We're going to be starting to talk about how they can accomplish all of their goals. Next week, all everything is back like on the table for like both of those two. 10 wins for Mizzou? Uh, they could get to Illinois? Nine. I'm going to say nine. Uh, I'm going to let you finish, but I'm going to say nine. Where the hell is that other win coming from? Well, I'm not even sure they get to eight if they beat Kansas State. It's at least on the table. Oh, eight eight is at least on the table if, if they're able. If we're going by that, 11's on the table for Illinois. Yeah. Hmm. No, no losses. No, no not, not realistically speaking. <laughs> 11 losses. They're on the table. Absolutely. They do indeed play Wisconsin and Michigan State and Michigan oh, later this year. That'll so go, uh, that'll go well. It for feels you. like the ceiling Upset for, for old, old Illinois. Jim Harbaugh might go for 75 against Illinois. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not, guys. Believe it or not, Lamar Jackson will win an MVP this year after not getting his long term deal. Not believing it. Did you see Josh Allen yesterday? If Josh Allen's wide receivers weren't capable or weren't incapable of holding on to the football, probably would have had five touchdowns, four touchdowns, no interceptions, any stiff arming linebackers. Josh Allen's winning that MVP. Yeah, I'm not going to believe this either. I think wow. it is Josh Allen. I, I think Lamar I'm will be up there. My voice there. Yeah. <laughs> he legitimately surprised me. Wow. You Baltimore fan? <laughs> it's Owen Wilson uh, in I, I studio, think it is, ladies and gentlemen. I think wow. it is going to be Josh Allen. I mean, he looked awesome yesterday. He's got a ton of weapons around him in Buffalo. And he just, it's been incredible to watch the steps that he's taken as a legitimate top-end quarterback in the Four league. Four years ago, we were saying this guy's going to be a bust. Yeah, I, I think it's Josh Allen. I think that if I was going to place a bet on this, I would indeed bet on Lamar Jackson because at 20 to one, those are just, 
Those odds are too good, man. I, I think Lamar Jackson and you guys are going to laugh at this, but Jalen Hurts are the two best bets on the board right now. I'm not going to laugh at that because the weapons that he has and the ability to run the football, I think he's there. I think Kyler Murray could also, but Kyler Murray's going to have to have a big year and the fact that his Just weapons are hurt. Team. I don't either, but he's one of those guys that it's like, believe me, I'm like the biggest naysayer about Kyler Murray, but he's one of those guys where you feel like you come into the season and everyone's like, it's going to be awful. And then he goes off. Yeah. I just, I I don't want to bet on Kyler because I don't enjoy watching Kyler. I really enjoy watching Lamar. I think it's so much. It's just an enjoyable experience when you are fully invested financially, potentially in, in Lamar's success. And the same thing I think could be true this year of Jalen hurts. It's kind of, I don't I don't know if Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. Like I'll just say that on the front end. However, if he ends up being better than we all expect, the payout is just crazy big. Because as you mentioned, Alex, he does have the legs where he could finish this year with a thousand yards on the ground, yeah. throw for four thousand yards, and boom, you're right in the MVP conversation if the Eagles end up being as good as some are expecting this season. So those would be the two over on FanDuel. Lamar's twenty to one, Jalen Hurts is twenty-five to one. I think those would be the guys that I would play. Surprised the you didn't say Justin Herbert. He, his odds just aren't very, odds good. Aren't very he's, good. He's at nine to one right now. Oh. It's tough to bet on Kyler. I, I don't know when double XP weekend is, so it's tough to really back Kyler Murray. I, I know there's going to be a couple of weeks where he's not there. I think I'm hoping just for my fantasy football purposes. That's fair. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line for Believe It or Not, guys. Believe it or not, the Blues making the playoffs this season will be determined based on Jordan Bennington's overall performance. I believe it. I mean. If Jordan Bennington's not top goaltender in the Western Conference in the conversation for Vezina, I don't know if this team can go on a playoff run because they don't have Villahuso anymore. And maybe that's not giving enough credit to Thomas Grice. I think Thomas Grice will be fine for you. I think he'll probably get you 15 wins if you need him. But you need Jordan Bennington to probably pay, play like 2019 playoffs and regular season Jordan Bennington. So I'll believe this. I, I'm going to believe this, too, because I, one, Bennington struggles. You don't have that guy pushed him, as Alex was talking about. You don't have a Huso back there that can kind of take on the load that you trust as a starter. I don't think Grice is that guy. Two, I don't think your depth is as good as it was last year. I know some people disagree with that because now they've got a fourth line. Fourth line ain't going to replace what David Perron brought, brought to the team. And with that being said, because I think you're losing some offensive capabilities, I think you're going to have to become more of a defensive prevention goal team. And I don't think this defense is that. And if that's the case, that means Bennington's facing a lot of shots and he's going to have to be the guy that steals some games for the Blues. And that's why I think he has to be one of the top end goalies and he has to get back to that form that you saw in the playoffs for this team to make the playoffs. Yeah, we're all on the same page here. Believe it or not, guys, it is official, by the way. Major League Baseball has implemented the pitch clock, the banning of the shift, ruining the game. and in large bases starting in 2023. Believe it or not, we will look back on this the way that we now do with the designated hitter move and say by the end of next year, eh, I actually ended up liking all of those moves. I'm going to believe it. I, it. I know it looks like just a lot of jargon right now when you read it and you're like, oh my God, all these rules being implemented. But I do think that these are going to, they're going to play into the MLB games in the season a lot more flawlessly than people are giving it credit for. And I think it's actually going to make it a little bit more intriguing, a little bit faster, and it's going to keep people more interested. So I'm believing this one. I think I'm going to believe this one too. And I think the biggest one for that is the pitch clock. I mean, I went down to two minor league games this year and those games just went quick and they were done in two and a half hours compared to like, we've watched a couple of games where it takes four hours, which is just 
unbelievable to watch in a baseball game. It should never take that long, even with a bunch of offense. So I'm going to believe this. I think you're going to look back on it. I think the one rule you're really going to circle. I don't know if you're going to notice a lot with the shift, maybe a little bit. I don't think it's going to be as noticeable as some people think. And I don't think you're, you're definitely not going to notice the enlarged bases, but I think you're definitely going to notice the pitch clock and how games really start to move. Yeah, I'm believing this. I think this is, we're going to look back on this. We'll get into it a little bit further coming up in the 12 o'clock hour and say to ourselves, ah, I liked all that. It ended up making for a better, more enjoyable game for us to watch. I tend to agree with you, Tanner. I think that it's going to be less of a change than what we are anticipating. I think the game's going to look pretty similar next year to what it does right now. The biggest thing, though, I think the pitch clock's going to be good for baseball. Uh, it, it was time. Giovanni Gallegos, very interested to see how this goes for him. Dakota Hudson, Interested to see how it looks when he's scoreless innings with a pitch. He did well down in the minors. I'm curious to see what it looks like for him, but I think this is going to help us as fans enjoy the game a little bit more than what we we currently do. By the way, a little bit of added information on this from Jason Stark. According to him, players on the competition committee unanimously voted against the new shift and pitch clock rules that will be announced today. But because Major League Baseball has more reps on the committee and negotiated the right to implement these rules anyway in the CBA, they will be pushed through. So shock baseball and the players not agreeing. Oh, good. So everything's hunky dory between both sides. Are you guys surprised by that at all? That it was a unanimous vote against? No. Okay. I, there, I, I mean, you still got some of those old school pitchers who don't a don't like the uh, pitch com. I mean, I think Adam Wainwright's been against a pitch clock. I'm not shocked that the players voted against most and of the stuff. And I think the shift helps some guys in terms of defense and it's going to benefit them in terms I, of getting paid rather than now. It's going to affect them defensively. I think in like 10 years, had they done this, I think it would have been more of a, there would have been no unanimous votes against it because players have come up through the minor leagues where they're seeing all these changes going on. Yeah, remember, I think most of the players that are sitting on that competition committee are probably more of the veterans that just grew up in its baseball. There's no need to be adding stuff that increases or increases pace of play. Coming up in 15 minutes, the Cardinals defense starting to come under some scrutiny. What's that mean for Dylan Carlson's role when he returns? We'll get into that coming up at noon. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Ask Us Anything coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. service tax line it's a friday so that means it's time for ask us anything which is very different than our typical questions and answers sports or otherwise if you got any questions for us send them in now at 65780 let's start with this one guys if you let a neighbor borrow some kind of equipment and they bring it back broken and say it was broken whenever they got it do you start a war with the person or just chalk it up as a loss i mean (laughs) I know Ferrari. I'd never get into this problem because I wouldn't let a neighbor borrow any equipment. So (laughs) Alex never talks to a neighbor. Actually, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I don't know how a neighbor could claim that it was broken when I got it because you borrowed it. And if you're going to borrow it from me, I'm going to say, all right, well, I just start it up and make sure it works before you take it and use it so that I know if it comes back broken while it was working when you left with it. So I absolutely start up a war with this. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you start up a war on that, especially if if it's really expensive piece of equipment that Which you're all of up. them are yeah i i think you start up a war now granted are you going to gain anything out of it no it's going to make me feel better so like i, I don't know there's no nothing else really to do like they're not going to pay for it but i don't know how you get them back here's a great example 
let BK borrow my chainsaw for oh, his okay, bushes. Get the hell out and of he here. And he gave it back to me, and it was dull, and now it's broken. Worked fine when I had okay. it. First of all, You're the, the chain was broken when it arrived. No, the chain just falls off. <laughs> yeah. You gotta put the chain back on it. I had to completely redo it, and I had to YouTube how to fix a chainsaw, and I did. I fixed the chainsaw. Worked fine for me. And guess what? It worked perfectly whenever I used it. Was it dull when it was done? Maybe. It might have already been dull. You, I don't know. I feel like you would give it to him, not tell him that the chain falls off. He, he did. Would, he would panic, <laughs> fix all. it, and then when he gives it back to you, the chain falls off in the middle of the handing of handing it back over, and you go, you broke my chainsaw. All of that happened except for the last part. That's uh, exactly no. how it went down. The chain fell off when I had it, but it worked chopping off all of the trees, but regardless, it was a POS <laughs> when I gave it to him, so I'm like, meh, it's fine. Yeah, this is this is pretty simple. You don't start war or anything. You, you just can't give that person anything else. No, you like, just don't the, give the it to him in the first time place. that you give it to him. You don't loan it to him in the first place. Ah, come on. You guys need anything? You let me know, Tanner. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for ask us anything. Coming over. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> you want me to do that? I, I need my garbage disposal fixed. I took two hours fix the garbage <laughs> disposal. I don't think you want me to do it your roof. <laughs> Would you rather be a world champion in disc golf or cornhole or bags? However you want to say. it. Cornhole. I think mine would be disc golf. I think disc golf's more impressive. I think I agree. Like cornholes. All right, cool. There's some. There are some challenge. I like to play disc golf. I'll go play every now and then. Uh, I don't want to me- make anybody on our text line mad because I know it has a very passionate fan base. I think there's more people that play cornhole, so I think I would rather be excellent at that. Like there's oh, more I opportunities. Big following of this. I, I know, I know, but I'm saying for me, there's more opportunities for me to play. Just, cornhole slash bags. I just think disc golf's more impressive. Like yeah. I agree to be able to make those long. Like it's I've just seen more of videos. a niche game. Like I, and it's more it's more challenging because there's like it's kind of like a golf course. So. How there's each hole has a different element to it. Going avoiding trees, going over water. Cornhole, it's literally can I throw a bag x amount of feet and just put it in another hole? Eh, kind of dull. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service hex line. Here's the serious question. Ask us anything, <laughs> guys. I have a serious problem. Maybe you all can help me out. Oh, I recently good. saw my friend's wife out with another man. Oh, when boy. I approached her about it to speak, she actually had the guts to ask me not to say anything because it would break his heart. So my question is this. <laughs> what? Should what? I don't should, say anything and it would kill him? Oh, should okay. I tell my friend because I'm a loyal friend or do I keep this to myself because I know it's going to crush him whenever I let him know? So wait, we're trying to tell the guy that's cheating on that his he's being wife? cheated on by yes. his wife, but his wife doesn't want him to know because it would kill him. I mean, uh, you, you have gotta to tell your friend. You got to tell him. Yeah, hundred percent. If you don't tell him, somebody else is going to tell him when they find out, and it's going to be even harder on him. You got to end it earlier. Yeah, and you're you're if you're a trusted friend, you gotta you gotta be that guy. You gotta be the guy that he relies on and come yeah. through. I, yeah, I think you gotta tell and him. You tell him there's there's more fish in the sea and yeah. it's a big wide ocean out there. Yeah, it's a big blue world. Yeah. T Bone likes to sing. I can't catch any fish, but he probably could. Fishes in the sea.com. You got to go man. fishing for you to catch any fish. Yeah. You can't sit at home and hope that a fish just finally comes in. I've seen in. videos of fish flopping onto the boat. I think it'll happen. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Ask us anything. Guys, with the new schedule format coming next season where the Cardinals will play all teams in Major League Baseball every year, could you see them eventually eliminating the divisions and just having an American League and a National League, and then they make the playoff teams as a result of that? Do you think there's a scenario in which Major League Baseball ditches the divisional format? I'd say no. And the reason I say that is because, like, you look at the NBA, like, what's the point of having divisions? Like, 
I don't even know what the divisions are, but they have six of them. It, it's just for scheduling purposes. It makes it easier because otherwise you kind of have to rotate around on who's playing. Like when in the Central, the Cardinals are playing, I think it's each team 14 times, if I remember correctly. It just makes it easier for scheduling purposes. Will they move away potentially from how the seating goes based on that? Maybe, but I can't see them just saying it's just going to be there's a National League, there's an American League. I think they stick with the divisions. I, I, it's just easier for scheduling. I mean, I, I've been saying it for years that hockey should go back to the one through eight playoff format and just have the West versus East. I think it would be more entertaining if you just did the National League versus the American League and the amount of teams that get into the playoffs, you just go top to bottom with it. No more of the divisions. And you're getting to the point now where you're scheduling it to where you're playing every team at some point through the season and you're cutting down on the divisional games. Just spread the wealth so that you see all the teams and make it a little bit more exciting. I like divisions personally. I, I do too, I, especially because of the natural rivalries that take place as a result. I think you get those no matter what from playoffs. Like the NBA to me doesn't really you, have a ton of rivalries. Well, like Cubs cards, for example. That's never going to go away though from history. It, no, but it. if you went, if you took away the divisional format, you're also going to have to change the scheduling once again. It's got to be a flat scheduling. Like you've got to play every team in the National League the same number of times. Otherwise, you keep the divisional. Well, yeah, there's no divisions then. Um, right. and, and if you're only if you're playing every team a flat number, I would have to go through and see exactly what the schedule out would lay out. I would bet it's like eight games per team in the National League, probably something like that. Maybe seven, six games, something like that. Probably two, two to three series per year. I don't think that that's something that you would want to do. I don't think you would want to completely eliminate that many games against the Cubs for the Cardinals. And the same thing would be true for like the Yankees and Red Sox and so on and so forth. There's a lot of those rivalries that you would have to remove at least half of the games as a result. So I don't know that I would go this way. I think part of the charm of baseball during the season is having those divisional matchups. So I would keep the division games. I do like what you're saying with the NHL. I think that's a little different because you don't have like 18 games every year that you're playing against your division. I think baseball will will and should always have a divisional format. I think that's just part of it. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're getting to our picks for the NFL and college football games this weekend. We've got nine games to choose from. We will each draft three games going into the weekend. We are picking them against the spread. We also have some new uh, punishments to announce. That's all coming up at 1215. But coming up next, the Cardinals defense starting to come under some scrutiny again. What does that mean for Dylan Carlson's role whenever he is able to return? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So we got to talk about this Cardinals defense. Still really good. Most of the guys that are out there on a night to night basis, you feel excellent about Yadier Molina is doing his thing behind the plate. You got Goldie and Arenado who are probably the best corner infield duo in all of major league baseball. Tommy Edmond, by the way, if you look at outs above average defensive run, save some of those more advanced numbers where you can take it or leave it. But on the, on the extremes, they're typically pretty good indicators. Tommy Edmond's been the best defender in baseball, according to most of those numbers this season. You look at the outfield though. And there are some questions right now. You no longer have Tyler O'Neill playing in left field every night where he's awesome. He's been playing in center field and a couple of nights ago. I think we all knew this was going to be the case. He makes that diving catch and then he's out of the game yesterday because why? Sore neck from that diving catch oh. attempt. 
He's been okay out there. I wouldn't say he's looking like a gold glove center fielder, but he's mostly been fine. In right field right now, you've got Lars Newtbar, who I would say is pretty darn good for the most part out there. I haven't seen any issues with him. Left field's been a bit of an adventure, specifically when Corey Dickerson plays out there, and we saw that yet again yesterday. And the other spot that's been a bit of an adventure at times is second base with Nolan Gorman. Now, for what it's worth, Ollie Marmel said to the Post-Dispatch the other day, he really likes the way that Nolan Gorman has been playing defensively at second. I think there have been times where I say he's better than I expected him to be there. There are other times where I say, oof, whether it's an errant throw or a play that he's just not able to make because he's not quite as nimble as their previous second baseman have been, it can be an issue at times. Alex, the Cardinals defense is coming under scrutiny for good reason. How do you feel about it right now, especially when you watch them compared to some of the other contenders across the National League? Can you win with this being the defense that you're putting out there on a night-to-night basis? I mean, you can because look at their record that they've had since the All-Star break and they've had a lot of these guys playing. I just, for me, I think I think the second base position is more important defensively for this team than the left field position because of the amount of ground ball pitchers that you have on this roster and the amount of double plays that you're going to turn. And look, Nolan Gorman can do that, but there have been occasions where he's been unable to make that second out on the turn because of like what you mentioned, BK, him not being as nimble. And then, of course, we see yesterday where left field hurts you and you give up three runs, which probably could have been an out if that uh, if that track to that ball would have been a little bit different. I think you can win this way as long as their bats are playing. And as we saw yesterday, you're missing out on runners in scoring position, and then the defense is going to hurt you. So if there's one spot that I would say I'm a little bit more concerned than the other, it would be the second base position considering the Michaelises, the Wainwrights, the uh, Montgomerys. Those guys are inducing ground balls. you got to make sure you're good to go at the infield position. Yeah, I, I think you can win this way, and I, I'm honestly truly not too concerned about both positions defensively because, what, and I don't want to take away from either position, but when if you told me in the outfield, where do you want your weak, weakest defender? I would say left field. Well, that's where Corey Dickerson is. If you told me on the infield, where do you want your weakest defender? I would say second base, even with a ground ball staff to Alex's point. Now, where I think it becomes interesting is for the Cardinals, and I don't think the Cardinals have really done this a lot. I think all he has done it in bigger games not so much when they're playing the Nationals and teams like that. I think you'll see it when they take on Milwaukee coming up and then when they go on that road trip to uh, L.A. and San Diego. I think you can win this way, but you have to be willing to do kind of a quick line shift and kind of plan for that when it gets late in game situations. If Gorman's hitting, yeah, he's the starting second baseman with Donovan at the DH, and Corey Dickerson's gone from being a guy we thought was going to be DFA to almost hitting 300. So he has to be in the lineup. So I get it. Those two spots are weak defensively. I agree Tyler O'Neill's a fine center fielder. I, I don't think he's a great center fielder defensively but what you have to be willing to do is about the seventh eighth inning if you've got a lead one run three runs five runs you need to be willing to make a defensive moves and that's where it comes to Carlson's role when he's healthy where you can put O'Neill into left move Carlson into center and then you can pull Gorman from the game and shift Tommy Edmond over to second base and then bring Paul DeYoung in at shortstop because let's be honest the only reason Paul DeYoung is on the roster right now is because of his defense. His bat's not playing, and, and he's not getting a lot of starts because he's not swinging the bat well. So what's he on this roster for? To essentially be, and it's weird to say this about Paul DeYoung, but essentially be what your Pete Cosmo, where he's basically just a defensive player. That you know you're not going to get a lot of offense production from him, but you're hoping you don't have to get offense production from him because he's only going to come in, play two innings, and he's going to be really good for you defensively. So I think you can win this way, but you have to be willing to make those defensive substitutions. So on that note... Lars Newtbar is probably your only plus defender for his position right now. Like, I think Tyler O'Neill is a plus defender when he's in left field. I think he's an average center fielder right now, probably. 
Lars Newbar is also two for his last 28 at the plate with seven strikeouts, and that's over nine games, including six starts for him. He's batting 071 in that stretch with an OPS of 440. Has Lars Newbar earned the benefit of the doubt where he was so hot for such an extended period of time and showed you so much at the plate that you are still believing in him as an everyday starter right now, even with Corey Dickerson and now having Alec Burleson up in the big leagues? Or do you consider giving Alec Burleson some of those starts in right field, even though you know that probably makes your outfield defense even that much worse? And Newt Bar would be taking center in this position? No, Newt Bar would not be playing because of what he's doing offensively right now, or maybe better way to put it, what he's not doing yeah. offensively right now. I mean, I guess right now, what's it going to hurt you? Because he's not hitting offensively, and you want to see a little bit more of Alec Burleson. If we're talking that those series against the Dodgers and Padres and Brewers, I don't know if I would be doing that. Basically, what I'm asking is, has Lars Newbar earned the benefit of what we would do with a uh, Paul Goldschmidt or a Nolan Arenado or even Tommy Edmond, honestly, where he plays through even the offensive slumps because of what value he brings to you defensively. I think so, because is nude in that spot where he just you keep putting him out there and eventually you believe that this is going to turn around offensively. I think you have to because defensively, I mean, they told us that Alec Burleson is more of a DH than he is an outfielder defensively. And I don't know if I need my two corners Corey Dickerson and Alec Burleson and then having my center fielder be Tyler O'Neill. I got to have two. De- I got to have two above average defenders in the outfield because otherwise I think it just turns into pure chaos out there. And that's where I am too is do I think Lars Newpar is an everyday outfielder in terms of like just moving forward? No, I think he's the perfect fourth outfielder, but with the way this team is situated right now, yeah, he's earned the benefit of the doubt and continue to get starts and see if he can turn it around because I don't think you can have an outfield of Corey Dickerson, Tyler O'Neill, and Alec Burleson. That just screams scary. That screams chaos ready to that happen. That gives me the same type butt cheeks feel as a bullpen situation does. Yeah, so I, I, I can't do that right now. Now, if Carlson were playing better and you had him in center and O'Neill in left, then okay, maybe you consider doing that where you have one below average outfielder. But even then, I still want my right fielder to be an above average defender. So I think you stick with Lars Newpar. And until unless Carlson comes back and it gets healthy and gets right, then can you be willing to do that? But then I still can't see you pulling Corey Dickerson out of the lineup either. So I think it's Lars Newpar pretty much the rest of the year because I'm not sure what yeah. Carlson's role is going to be moving forward. Unless Carlson can come back. And- Lars Newpar, by the way, has become an all-or-nothing player. Over his last 12 games, and this is 50 plate appearances now, he has four hits. Three of them have, have been home runs. So you're Pete either Lars. you're either getting a oh, home God. run out More of Lars Newbar or you're getting literally nothing out of him right now. I, I will say if there's one thing that I would consider doing, I would consider flipping him now to the bottom of the lineup. And yeah, th- agreed. That that probably means putting um, Goldie at leadoff. Yeah, I would That's probably go with buddy. Donovan at the top of the order because we've talked about this before, right? When we went to talk with Ollie about what was going wrong with the offense in the middle of the season when they went through that lull, he said, well, you look back at what was going well for them at the beginning of the year. It was Tommy Edmond getting on base and having that really high OPS. It was Brendan Donovan having that really high OPS. Those two guys were hitting in front of Goldie and Arenado. They were driving in the runs and boom, that was the recipe. Well, right now, you're going back to that area where it was, ah, they're not getting anybody on in front of Goldie and Arenado. It's limiting their RBI opportunities, and we're seeing what's happening to the offense as a result. I would probably right now go with Donovan as my number, as my leadoff hitter. Agreed. The, the two holes where it gets interesting again. I, so I, I've said that the hole for the team all year is that five spot, and that's why it's tough for me to say this now. 
But because, I mean, we've you've seen it with the Cardinals, and you just brought up a good point. When they're right, they're clicking by getting the one and two on base, and then Goldie and I'll drive them in. I think you put Dickerson in the two hole. That's right what I was now. about to say. Or do you do Tyler O'Neill? O'Neill's going through a slump right now offensively as well. And so I, I wouldn't. I understand it, though, because you're trying to get him better pitches to hit. That's so I, what I, I get what the, what the formula is. Him or Gorman. It's the same concept with both of them. I could understand it with either. Um, against left-handed pitching, maybe you go there. I would probably go Edmund at the top of the order against lefties. And then maybe I would go O'Neill there. But against right-handed pitchers in particular, I think Dickerson would be my first choice. Gorman would probably be second for me. I would consider putting Alec Burles in there. I, I know that's a lot. I understand he's a rookie, but everything that we've seen in his profile suggests this is a guy who could be similar to what you've seen this year offensively from a Brendan Donovan. So I, I think I would consider putting Alec Burleson in that two hole. And is he maybe in, it takes some pressure off of him too, hitting in front of uh, Goldie and Arenado. Say, so where's he at then? Right field? Where are you putting Burleson? In DH that probably. DH and then you've got righties. Donovan... Second base? Second base. Right probably. field? Okay. Yeah. And you can right you can still. move all of those guys around too. Like maybe there's days where Donovan's getting opportunities in left field and some days he'll get opportunities at second or DH and you kind of flip them around. But yeah, I think you can move those guys around for if, a few different spots. And if Edmund starts hitting, maybe you put him back in the leadoff spot for a little bit and move Donovan down to the two hole. He's been doing better against right-handed yeah. pitching, so I, I would consider that as well. I wonder if that's what we see first. That might be what they do. Because he got to the number two hole yesterday. I wonder if they bump him up to the leadoff spot and then put Donovan down in the two hole so you can get the guy on. You get two guys on base potentially for Goldie and Arenado. I think we're all on the same page, though. I'm not willing to give up that much defense. No, you can't. Um, I, I think Lars Nupar is your starting everyday right fielder. And if that means that you're not getting a whole lot from him offensively right now, so be it. I don't think you have another option. Now, if this continues when Dylan Carlson gets back, then you, that's when things get interesting. Because then I think you put Carlson in center field, you put uh, O'Neal back in left, and then you probably have Dickerson starting in right field and for you point, over Lars Newport. And at that point, you're at the same spot that you were. If, our, if Lars continues to struggle, Carlson and you're was better defensively. Exactly. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Major League Baseball made some huge changes today to what the game is going to look like in 2023. Or did they? We'll tell you next, or coming up in 15 minutes. But next, we'll give you our NFL and college football picks of the week. And we've got some punishments to announce. That's next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Associate certain songs with moments in your life, Alex. Like uh, like Michael Bolton. Cue the Bolton. Exactly. <laughs> Dakota Hudson. I think that's what we're going to do with this song for the rest of the NFL season. And it's not going to be in a good way. It's going to be tied to fear. We have amended our picks this year. And yes, we are 100% stealing this from the Rizzuto show. They're the best show in town for a reason. Uh, you don't even have to text that in. That Yes, 100% we're stealing. Well, we steal um, their content too. <laughs> we, we now have punishments that are associated with our picks every PK week. Came Ferrario punishment picks. So, yikes! Every week there will be a list of three punishments that could be had by the loser in that respective week. This week's three options, and you guys will get a chance to vote on these starting on Monday when we know who has lost the Pick'em Challenge this week. Ferrario. The three this week will be either. 
You're wearing a costume at the corner of Olive and 270 with a sign that says, I suck at picks. You do that for an hour. Yikes. An hour? I didn't know it was that long. It's supposed to be hot next week. Too. Damn. You have a beer run. So you drink a beer, run a quarter mile, and then you repeat it until you finish that uh, that mile. That sounds fun. I'm going to vomit at that. So. Or option number three. You got to push a slide the full length of a football that field with Kerry miserable. Davis yelling at you the whole time. Oh, gosh. So, those are the three options. He's a frightening man. You guys <laughs> will be able to vote on those after this week, after we learn who loses this week. And, and you vote on the 101 ESPN app and social media, correct? That's correct. I've never been more nervous about making picks. So we had a random generator determine the order of who gets random. to draft where. We will do the snake draft, so it goes one, two, three, and then that third year. person will once again circle it back to the top. Two, three, three, two, one. One, two, three. No, yep. three, two, one. So Alex is going to be the last pick. Tanner gets the second pick. I will pick first this week. Random. My first pick, I'm going with my guys. Oh, God. I've got the Chiefs minus the six points going into Arizona. I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if the Chiefs do not win this game. I have zero faith in Cliff Kingsbury. I have zero faith in Kyler Murray without any of his real superstar wide receivers on the field this week. I like the Chiefs to cover the six points in Arizona. Tanner, who you got? This is a big spread, but I I feel pretty comfortable in this because those Longhorns. Oh, my God, you're doing it? They ain't back yet. Roll Tide, baby. Give me Alabama minus 20 on the road against Texas. That is a massive spread, but I I was avoiding that one. I I really think Bama will just blow out Texas this week. This sucks because I was. Back-to-back picks, Alex. I know. This really sucks. Um, All right. I'm going to start in the NFL. Okay. And I'm going to start. Uh, I'm starting with the Raiders and Chargers. I'm taking the Chargers minus three. I feel pretty confident that the Chargers. <laughs> I can feel your confidence. Oh, yeah. You're really, home, really, really exuding confidence Justin right Herbert, now. That new team. I'm very confident that they can beat the, the Raiders by more than three. Uh, second pick. Blank me. I'm taking. Oh, God. <laughs> This sucks because I don't want to take all favorites here. All right, I'm sticking in the NFL, and I'm going to back what I said earlier. I'm taking the Vikings plus one and a half. All right. Vikings at home plus one and a half. I'm taking that one, too. I'm staying the blank away from college football. Yeah, college football is tough. These suck, man. All of them. Just give me the the heebie-jeebies. None of them feel good. (laughs) I don't even feel great about this. My weekend's ruined. I I think the next one I'm going to take I, I want to avoid the last nfl game which is bucks at cowboys i want to keep that one on the board all right i i think kansas state covers against mizzou give me the wildcats minus seven and a half all right so we've got four games that remain for the pick em challenge this week the four games that are left on the board just so you guys are aware the bucks are two and a half point favorite on the road at the cowboys the tennessee volunteers are a six point favorite on the road at pittsburgh the Kentucky Wildcats are going into Florida this weekend. Florida's a six and a half point home favorite and the random college football game that we have because Illinois, you can't bet on them in the state of Illinois. BYU it's is a, a three point favorite at home against Baylor. That is random. It's a good game though. <sighs> I'm going Tennessee. Damn it. Tennessee on the road, six point favorite going into Pittsburgh. That's my first pick. My second pick here. We reverse this snake once again. Oh, God. I don't think we're doing this right. Oh, I think God. I should be picking here, right? That's what oh, we did. Go all the way me, back to three. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, God this you know sucks. what? I'm taking the Bucks. 
taking the Bucks minus the two and a half going into Dallas. So scared of Tom Brady all offseason. I know, but I am not betting against Tom Brady in this game. The Cowboys do not have a left tackle currently on the roster. They lost Randy Gregory. I think they are not going to be as good as anybody expected them to be going into the season, given all, how much they lost this year. They have no number two wide receiver. I, I'm going to take the Bucks minus two and a half. I feel good about it. I'm exuding confidence right now. I'm, tr- I'm no, trying to not, figure out which one I want because the two I I don't like the favor in either one of these games. Kentucky at Florida or Baylor against BYU. I like my chances though with a bigger spread, so I'm going to go Kentucky on the road at Florida <laughs> plus six and a half. Me. Alex. I, how much of Baylor or none, BYU have you none. watched in recent years? I have no years? idea. I'm trying to Google who the experts are picking on this damn game. Seriously? Oh. Alex is looking up who the quarterback is it, at Baylor. It's funny because he's like dreading picking this game. I'm excited to watch this football game this week. Not anymore. Late start, two top 25 teams. It's a freaking minus three, too, which is the worst Somebody said, this is dumb. Why aren't you picking games one somebody might like, like Mizzou and K-State? Well, we did. We, we Let's did. go Wildcats. <laughs> Tanner picked that game. We, uh, we got nine games that we're picking, guys. Son of a, I don't know. I think I'm going to go, I'll go BYU here. BYU minus three. I'm just going to take the fact that they're the home team and hope to God that they can actually cover that spread. All right. Here are our picks for the week. Son of a. If you are rooting against any one of us to have one BK. of these punishments, either Wearing a costume at the corner of Olive in 270 with a sign that says, I suck at picks for an hour before or after the show. The beer run, drinking a beer, running a quarter mile, and then repeating four times. Or pushing a slide the full length of the field, Kerry Davis yelling at you while we do so. And his football team, probably. Here are the games that you want to root for or against. The Raiders I and Chargers. Have the Chiefs as a six-point favorite on the road at Arizona. That's a loss for you. So I have I Tennessee going on the road to Pittsburgh and winning that game. I've got three road favorites. Good Lord, what That's, did I do? That is great for us, speak, uh, T-Bone. I've got the Bucks going into Dallas and winning by at least three. Tanner has Alabama winning by 20, K-State winning by at least seven and a half, and Kentucky covering the six and a half point spread on the road at Florida. Alex's three picks this week. Chargers minus three points at home against the Raiders. The Vikings as a one and a half point underdog at home against the Packers and BYU at home minus the three points against Baylor. Someone said using God's name in vain and taking BYU. Interesting strategy. Oh, way to go, man. Sorry. How are we feeling, guys? We're, what's your level of confidence right now good. going into the weekend? I feel awful. <laughs> I, I, feel feel, I don't feel good about either of these. And this is sad because I won our pickums last year. What's the game that you're most worried about? Baylor and BYU because I have no freaking idea. My mine for me because I actually will bet money on Bama and Kentucky. The one for me is K State. I I think this game is going to be I think close. Mizzou makes it close. I, I agree with BK sense where he said, "What did you say? Ten points in favor yeah. of K State earlier." I kind of agree with that sense, but I could see where Missouri gets like a garbage time field goal and ends up screwing me over here. Oh man, I know what's going to happen. Yeah, you're going over I, three. I, I question Tom Brady all offseason, and finally, I I get scared. I'm, I'm leaking confidence two days before the start of his season, and I decided to back the Bucks on the road at Dallas. And after Sunday, Dak Prescott's going to shove it down my throat. He's going to throw for 325. With his messed up ankle. 
Oh God, that'd be huge and, for my. And fantasy the sad team. part is, like, I'm stressed, but like, I'm not even really stressed about these three punishments. I'm more stressed of the punishments that are going to be coming as we go deeper into it yeah. this season. You can because you just some, know what's coming. Some of these are just brutal for me. Somebody on the text line said, "Are you guys really doing uh, stakes this high in punishments this bad for all 17 weeks?" Poor BK. Yeah, we are actually. These are three of the easier ones. Yeah, these I'm like I'm content with these. Other than standing out there for an hour, it's gonna be hot. Can I, but... can I tell them the one that it's not on the list of three of the Give vote the one for this? Week, Give the, the one that we're stressed out about the most because uh, mine's going to a damn grocery store in a hot dog costume. <laughs> Mine for Tanner that I'm hoping he gets. I don't know when it's going to happen, but sometime this year, I can't wait for him to do the body edition. Oh, no, I can't wait for him Sports to sit on his body lap. Edition. That's going to be good. Too. Because I'm going to make him dress up like no, a damn The one elf. I'm dreading the most is putting mayo in your coffee. Oh, God, that's disgusting. I've, I've, I love, I, I've eaten that worse. May, so. That may ruin <laughs> coffee. It's a gelatinous substance. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't do that. That may ruin <laughs> coffee for me forever. Someone said I might do the beer run just for fun. Like I said, I'm not concerned about although i don't know if carrie i think that's gonna suck carrie davis might be brutal with us 618 said tanner i hope you lose and cd makes you cry while pushing the sled (laughs) he very well might he might make all of us cry pushing the sled coming up in 15 minutes we're diving into the junk drawer but next major league baseball made some huge chain huge changes to the rule book are they actually gonna make that much of a difference on the field though we'll talk about it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, but... Major League Baseball has officially made some of the biggest rule changes that we have seen to the game really in as long as I can remember, Alex. The designated hitter was obviously a big one coming to the National League, but this is sweeping changes, and Major League Baseball made it possible to do this in the last CBA that was signed earlier in the offseason. They voted on it today. Major League Baseball starting next season will implement the pitch clock. They are banning the shift. And they are implementing larger bases, and that was voted on earlier today. It has now since passed. Players voted unanimously against it, and the owners basically said, oh, that's nice. Appreciate you coming to vote. Now we're going to go ahead and implement the rule changes that we wanted to because that's something that we're allowed to do under this new CBA. Thanks for your uh, thanks for your thoughts, but we're going to go with our decision. So here are some of the details on what this is going to look like. It's like arguing with BK. <laughs> According to The Athletic. <laughs> Under the proposed pitch clock, pitchers will now have 20 seconds to start their throwing motion with a runner on base and 15 seconds whenever the bases are empty. Now, there's a lot more that goes into it than just that. You can read about all of those details online, but I don't want to get too far into the nitty gritty. One of the biggest things, though, and I know Tanner wants to get into this, is the fact that you're only able to throw over twice. So that's going to be significant under the proposed shifts restrictions, a minimum of four players besides the pitcher and catcher would have both feet completely in front of the outer boundary of the infield dirt. And the two fielders on either side would need to be on either side of second base. So basically first and second baseman got to be on the right side of the infield. Your shortstop and third baseman got to be on the left side of the infield. And they are not allowed to switch sides of second base until after the pitch is thrown. So that's getting rid of the shift. Those are the biggest things that are going to be changing. And then again, you've got the bigger uh, bases. But based on all of the data, there's no real reason to believe that that's going to change much of anything. It might help with some player safety stuff. They're going to see if it works. And then we'll find out later on if it was anything of significance. But the biggest things, pitch clock and the reduction and really 
elimination of the shift. What do you think about the rule changes, Alex? How big of an impact do you think this is going to have? Honestly, I liked all of them. Um, I like the shift because, of course, we're talking about maybe more offense in this circumstance. It's going to make things interesting of how teams decide to use individual players defensively. I mean, you look at the Cardinals with Nolan Gorman. That changes a lot of things in that circumstance. And then the 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 pickoff rule, pitch clock. I mean, look, I know a lot of people hate it because it's, you know, degrading the game and taking away from it because people want it faster. It's speeding things up, which we appreciate. It's going to make pace a little bit more interesting. And personally, I think the pickoff is interesting. I don't know how that's going to work, but I feel like we're going to get a little bit, hopefully a little bit more stolen bases in this situation with only two pickoffs, but more than anything, you're going to speed things up so that games like yesterday don't go three hours and 47 minutes. Yeah. I I really like the implement of the pitch clock. I I really do. In the minor leagues, like I said earlier, I was there for two games, and both of them were two and a half hours in Springfield earlier this year. And it felt, and there was some offense in those games, but it felt like there was a brisk pace. There was no real kind of slowdown, and that's what I'm. That's why I'm excited to see the pitch clock. I don't really support the banning of the shift because one, I, I'm one. I think it's just making it easier for guys that just can't hit can't hit the ball the other way, and I think that's an element in which you have to have as a baseball player. But two, I'm not sure how much of a true impact it's going to have, as you mentioned, BK. The enlarging of the bases, again, I don't know how much of an impact that's going to have either. Minor league numbers don't seem to be supporting that. It's increasing stolen bases. Teams don't really like to run now, and I think, honestly, pitchers are slow to the plate now in the stretch, so I feel like there's an opportunity there still. The one that really does bother me is the pickoff rule, and it's not even just the pickoff rule, too. It is also basically two times a pitcher can stop, essentially, and that means if he steps, steps off, off because if there's a sign, uh, you know, how sometimes signs get mixed up or he decides, you know, I don't want to do that actually steps off. That's one. He picks off, doesn't get the guy out at first base. That's two. Now he can't pick off. And if he does try to and he misses, which more than likely will, which as we've seen, there's not a whole lot of pickoffs in Major League Baseball. It's essentially a block and the runner gets to go to mm-hmm. second base. I don't like that because I think that's a crucial part of the game. And that is such a strategy driven thing. I know it does get annoying at times when a pitcher will check over at a runner at first three, four times in a row. I mean, that's like five seconds in a game. Are we really trying to strive to cut off those five seconds? To me, it just eliminates some of the strategy and it makes it easier for a runner at first base because now he can kind of start to know, okay, well, the pitcher's probably not going to throw over here because he's already fearful that I'm going to get a free base. Now I can get a bigger lead, and if he doesn't throw over, then I can just take off and take but and run. I, that, I don't like the idea of limiting pickoff Does attempts. that force more fastballs then? And it forces possibly more stolen bases, and maybe it creates more offense. Like, I think it creates more excitement, doesn't it? I don't know if it forces more fastballs. If um, the guy's got a deep lead and basically knows you're not throwing back over to first base. Yeah, I think that's more about the, the motion than anything, but um, it... Here's the reason why they had to do that, Tanner, is according to some of the stuff that I've seen, and this came from Baseball America specifically, the minor league pitchers got smart on this after they implemented the pitch clock the first time around. This has been going on now for seven years. They, they implemented it for the first time in 2015. And minor league pitchers, after that first year, realized, oh, I can reset the pitch clock every time that I throw over. So if I'm not feeling right for whatever reason, we've got a sign issue, I I wanted to go back through things, mentally I just need to get reset, whatever. For whatever reason, big spot, I need to take my time here, just throw over, just throw over, throw over. And they started doing that more and more. And so the time of the game went back to what it was originally. They cut down 20 minutes at first, and then they went right back up the following season to the exact same time of game as they had prior to the implementation of the pitch clock. Why? Because of this. Because guys were throwing over so often and the games were, instead of adding 5-10 seconds, adding an extra 20 minutes as a result. So if you don't have this, that's their fear. 
is that they, it would have the same results as the minor leagues did, which is literally nothing. There, there would be nothing that changes. And so at that point in time, what's the point of even having the pitch clock? Now we're just allowing them an out that gets us back to what the same time on, uh, of game was previously. So I understand why they have to do it. I also get your perspective on this, though. I am personally a fan of more running. So if that ends up resulting in more stolen bases, which teams are very hesitant to do right now because the numbers say it's a bad play because the expected result is not high enough for you to be able to get that extra base. I'm for that. I I like the fact that we could potentially see a little more athleticism boosted into the game. I don't have any issues with it, but and I also think it. It is something that rewards players that are more multidimensional guys like I hate to say it, but Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, nobody's throwing over. <laughs> no, nobody's going to throw over to get them guys like Tommy Edmond. This adds even more value to their game. And I want guys like Tommy Edmond to be rewarded. So specifically to that part of it, I understand the the pushback. I do also get why baseball had to do that for this tour. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, because we're getting a lot of texts on our comfort service text on at 65780 saying that, okay, so after two throwovers, then the guy can basically lead off halfway to second base. Yeah, You can still throw over, but if you... He has to be called out. Otherwise, it's a bulk. And that's where, I mean, the guy's not going to go halfway down the second baseline because you can still throw over and tag the guy out or get him off at second base. But if you don't get him, then there's a bulk. So there is still some strategy that can be in play there. It's not like after two throwovers, the guy's just going to stand right, you know, halfway to second base and just wait for the the pitcher to throw. But that extra, like, step that he can take after the two throwovers, which he can still potentially get back on, that's where it becomes such a marginal difference for me. And that's where it creates more running. And that's where I don't like it. I don't like putting limitations on stuff for, like, strategy like that because that's where a pitcher, he's trying to maintain that runner just to stay closer to the bag so he can limit the the percentage chance of him getting a stolen base. And I don't like basically gifting. It's not a gift, but I don't like gifting an increased percentage chance for the runner to take second base. And that's why I don't like the limitations of that, and that's why I don't support that rule of, saying two pickoffs, and then he basically can get the one extra step which is such a big difference maker that's also why i don't like banning the shift now granted it sounds like that that one's not going to be as much of a factor but i do think the pickoff one will increase stolen bases by a lot in major League and baseball. for what it's worth there are some people that cover minor league baseball that say that's the one that maybe it doesn't show in 2023 but by 2024 it's the one that could have the biggest impact on baseball and maybe they amend it maybe this ends up being something where they look back on it and they say you know what two pickoffs is too few uh, we're going to four or something like that. I don't know what the exact number is going to be, but there, there's maybe a number in there that you could get to where it seems a little more reasonable. We also had this from the 314. Guys, what happens if the batter is the one that doesn't get in the box, especially if they have to get out and fix their batting gloves after every pitch? So there's a rule on that as well. This is, according to a lot of the players that are down in the minors, as much a hitter clock as it is a pitcher clock. Those guys have to be back in the box. I want to say it's nine seconds into the pitch clock. So there's rules for everybody. The catcher has to be sat at a certain time. The hitter has to be sat at a certain time. And then the pitcher, of course, has 15 seconds when there's no runners on and 20 seconds when there is runners on. So it, it impacts everybody. And you mentioned Albert earlier on the base running one. This would also be one, and again, Albert's retiring at the end of the year, so it doesn't really matter, but this would be one that will also affect him. How many times have you seen Albert, and it's not so much the stepping out and doing the batting gloves, but calling time in an at-bat? Yeah. There's multiple times where he's done it in multiple at, uh, multiple times throughout an at-bat. A batter can only do that one time now, and, and that will be an interesting one because that is one thing that I do see 
players do a lot where it's, okay, for some reason I don't feel right. Let me call time. Let me maybe readjust the batting gloves. They get in the stance, go through a couple swings, intense at bat, eighth pitch coming. Oh, okay, I want to rethink what I'm thinking. Oh, wait, I can't call time now. And that's where it's going to become really interesting from my perspective on the batter's one. I, I think they'll adjust to getting in the box by the nine seconds, but only being able to call time once, and especially in a game where it really matters in the September stretch or in the playoffs, that's where it becomes more interesting in my So opinion. I know the one that's going to get all the headlines, despite what we've just been talking about, is the ban on the shift. Here are some of the numbers that go behind it, though. Baseball America has a great piece on this. You should go check it out, uh, baseballamerica.com. It's, it's free to read about what all of this has done in the minor leagues and the impact that it has, or in some cases, like the shift, has not had. I don't want to get too far into the nitty-gritty, but uh, the way that it works for them down in the minors, batting average on balls in play with the restrictions was right around 305 in 2021. That was actually up from the 305 batting average in 2019, but down from 2018, but not by much, by literally one point in terms of the batting average on balls in play. Uh, the shift rules were across it, adopted across low A, high A, and double A um, this year. And in triple A, where they do not have the shift restrictions, batting average on balls in play is basically where it's been over the last couple of years. At double A, where they do have the shift restrictions, Batting average on balls in play is up three points, which is nothing of significance. As baseball fans, we will not really notice that. In high A, where they have had the addition of the shift restrictions, they've seen the batting average on balls in play down by about seven points. Again, not anything of real significance. And in low A, it's dropped about five points. So uh, overall, if you just look at the batting average on balls in play, which is what we should be looking at when it's hit in play, what is the expected batting average that those those results have? it really hasn't changed a whole lot down in the minor leagues. It's going to look different. So maybe aesthetically we see some balls in play that otherwise would not have been previously. It's also going to take away some hits as well. We watch this with the Cardinals, right? Where you're like, ah, beat the shift. What are you going to do about that? Well, now it's going to be an out. And some of the other balls that would have otherwise been an out will now be things that quote unquote beat the defense. I Net, net. Yeah. In the words of John Mosellock, net, net. I don't think this is going to be as big of a change as people are expecting it to be. Now, it could change which players are more valuable. Maybe that ends up being the case. Like a Brendan Donovan, for example. How many times have we hit it, Have we seen him hit it exactly to that second baseman that's playing deep or shallow right field, basically? That happens all the time. Could this help him? Maybe. Or maybe now they're just going to start playing that right fielder closer to second base. He's going to be playing in shallow right field. And now you're going to shift the outfield as opposed to the infield. That is one prediction that I would have, Tanner, to your point on the prediction of the pickoff is going to be the one that changes things the most. I think the biggest thing that we will see next year is, okay, sure, you guys eliminated the infield shift. Watch this. Now here comes the outfield shift. We're going to have the right fielder playing in shallow, shallow right. You'll have the left field playing in the gap, and then the center fielder playing in the gap as well. I think that's the next obvious evolution of defense. Yeah, did you hear that, Tampa Bay? That's how you're going to beat this? Yeah. 100%. I just think it creates more action, which I'm looking forward to next season. But we don't know if it actually does. That That's the thing. I that's think, why I'm looking forward to I it. I think this is kind of like a... Uh, it's something different. I'm fine with that. I, I should be in clear. My opinion. I have no issues with what they're doing. I'm fine with this. I want people to know who are fully in favor of this it's probably not going to have the intended effects that we all think that it could this year. I, I, I truly believe this is going to be kind of like a magician trick that you see where it's like, oh, wow, that must be real. How do you do it? Th- because it's going to be more, as you mentioned, more pleasing to see on the eye where you're, yep. you're seeing your traditional infield that's not got three guys on one side 
or hell, sometimes four guys on one side. And you're just going to, by thinking, when you see a hit up the middle where typically the shortstop would be on a shift, your mind's going to just originally say, oh, thank goodness they banned the shift because that's now a hit. But in fact, I think what will happen is the numbers will basically show what we're talking about, where it may have a little bit of an effect, but I don't think it's going to be anything noticeable. I think it's just going to be kind of this like magic Houdini act where it's like, oh, they got rid of the shift. Look, yeah, hitting's up. I don't think that's going to happen, even though still I don't support banning the shift, but I, I don't think it's going to have that much of an effect. 65780 is your comfort service X line from the 636. So you could still bring an outfielder into the infield and play with five infielders. I don't believe that's been impacted in any way. I think, I mean, you could. People won't, I don't, don't know think, why do you that very that. often. But what I'm saying is instead of bringing him onto the dirt, where that second baseman or some teams do it with their shortstop or third baseman, everybody does it a little bit differently. But when they're playing in shallow right field with that extra defender over there, instead of having an infielder play that spot now, I think what you'll start seeing is they'll bring in the right fielder or you could use anybody there, but specifically the right fielder most likely. And he will be the one that is in that quote unquote shift spot now to take away those hits that otherwise would have dropped with the infield shift being banned. And then I think you'll see them move over their outfielders. I know people, some, some people are calling me crazy for that, man. If I would have told you 10 years ago that this is what we would see with defense, you would have called me crazy for this too. Teams are going to adapt. They're going to follow where the numbers tell them to go. And we'll start seeing some weird stuff that in our minds doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But then you watch it play out and you're like, oh, we're back to the same thing. <laughs> same issues are arising once again. Coming up in 15 minutes, Alex's boy, Logan Brown. What's his role going to be for the Blues in 2022? But next, the juncture here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, what do you have for us today? Well, you guys have done this, and we've talked about different scenarios in which people have done a more extravaganza of this, but proposing. And I saw a video about a week or so ago. Guy ran a marathon, finishes the marathon, goes to propose to the girlfriend, gets down on the one knee, and then he gets a cramp right in the hamstring. And he just folds over. That's got to be a sign. I mean, I've never, I've never ran the long distance like that. But like, don't you have to know that there's going to be cramps at the end of a race? You hope that there's not. <laughs> I didn't think that I was going to get a cramp at the 21 mile marker of my marathon, and then it hit. But and, like at the end of your when, marathon, in your mind, you can't be thinking, "I'm going to bend down on one knee at the end of this." I, I will say, you, you, you have to. Ab- Abort the the bending on one knee. Yeah, like you can you can propose after a marathon if that's really the way that you want to plan it. But God bless you. (laughs) But you better be standing. I am not getting down on one knee for you here. And if that's a deal breaker, I need to know that in advance because that is not happening after I've just run twenty six miles. Not happening. No chance. There's some like videos of like the word like we've talked a lot about them like the one in Disney World that went haywire. Mm -hmm. I saw one like this too, but the guy was doing it. It was on a dock in open water. Must have been like at a lake or something. And he had his kid hold the ring. I don't understand that because you know that that ring's going to get dropped at some point and it's going through and it's going down. I He's crying in this video, by the way. I don't know if it's because he's happy. She said yes, or it's because he's still cramping. 
Oh, the oh, latter. One hundred percent the cramping. cramping. Now he can play you it off. He's getting emotional. I don't think he. I don't think he's crying because of the, she said yes. I think it's because he can't feel his legs. <laughs> Somebody from the six three six. Ah, boo hoo. Poor BK. He got a quampy wampy as marathon. <laughs> I didn't need that on a Friday. I don't need that kind of energy on this show on a Friday afternoon. I mean, some might say you deserve that. Yeah. Some. I feel like there's some days when I definitely do. Today was Today's one not them. one of those days. Today's one of them. Now, I've broken Alex during our yeah, show today. You were, you were a little aggressive in the office before the show. <laughs> B- BK, I think it's fair. BK had uh, an attitude today. Okay. Yeah. But I think that's a fair text from the 636. Alex is preparing for blue season. He's ready to go. He's getting the, the pre-tired energy ready to go. Always ready to go. <laughs> Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Speaking of the Blues, hey Alex, what's Logan Brown going to do for you? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So what's Brown going to do for you? And by Brown, I mean Logan Brown. Here's Jamie Rivers on the fast lane yesterday talking about his potential role in 2022. He's a dynamic offensive guy with great playmaking ability. That doesn't nec- that that scouting report doesn't say fourth liner to me, but he jumped in on fourth line and worked hard and ended up being a very good part of the depth of the blues last year. What does he make of this? tryout that's up to him that's a six foot seven forward with silky smooth hands that keeps the puck away very much like a David Perron as far as his ability to make you play keep away and you're not getting the puck anytime soon that could translate to be very beneficial for him and the team he's got to get the foot speed going and he's got to continue to evolve on the defensive side of the puck Alex I don't know what to make of Logan Brown I'm going to be totally honest with you there were times last year where I was like okay I kind of see what the Blues saw with him and it it makes some sense as to why they decided to take a flyer on him and they decided to bring him back on a one-way deal so we at least know he's very likely going to be a part of the NHL roster going into the season by the end of the year he finished with four goals 11 points and averaged about 10 minutes per game in the 39 games in which he played what are you expecting out of him realistically going into the season I'm with you. I think it's an unknown. But I think with that being said, I also think among the new players, and I know he's not considered new because he was on the team last year, but among the players that are coming in for a full season with the Blues, I think he's one of the most intriguing ones because he's a guy that the Blues said he's not a fourth liner, but you also saw some potential of him being a top nine guy, but then you also didn't see some potential of a top nine guy. And I think for me, I think the hope for the Blues is that Logan Brown becomes a top three center for this team in the conversation with Robert Thomas, Braden Shen, and Ryan O'Reilly. Like, I think the hope is that he forces his way into it. And that's what he was drafted for by the Ottawa Senators. Like, I went back and looked at his elite prospect definition of kind of elite prospect is kind of a database. Scouting report. Yeah, exactly. This is what it said about him. And it's really similar to what Jamie Rivers just said. He's a huge center who excels at both ends of the ice. He could dominate in the offensive zone. His large frame is his key to success by using his body to shield the puck and reach to keep it off of player six or sticks. He's not a physical player for his size, but he will finish every check. He's good. He's good with the shot pro like release and will be good to create uh, offense and uh, passing the puck. So, 
he sounds like a centerman, six foot six, two hundred and eighteen pounds. I think Logan Brown can be a third line center for you. I don't think he's going to be putting up fifty points. Did you see what his faceoffs were last year? I did not. They thirty nine percent. Yeah, they weren't great. And he had a lot of them. He had 170 face-off opportunities last year, and he only won 39% of them. Now, normally, I think face-offs can be a little bit overrated. Because some of those are because of the wingers with you to win the retrieval of the puck also. There is some of that, but the Blues had good good forwards. Um, That number concerns me. When it's that low, it it is something that I will start paying attention to. Now, if it's in like the 47-ish range or above, like that 47 to 53, like, okay, whatever, come out at a wash and maybe that was just a weird year for him or something but 39 percent is is a little bit of an alarming rate i don't know that i would have him playing center going into the season i think i would be viewing him as mostly a winger for me um but that that is just something that came to mind as i was looking up where he could potentially find himself. i don't think you can utilize him to his best ability if he's not playing center for you because i think that's what his best asset is the ability to create offense and make passes and the face-offs are going to be impactful but i do think Winning faceoffs on the fourth line is different than winning faceoffs when you've got, say, and I don't even know if he's going to be playing with these guys, but a Buchnevich or a, a Barbashev or a Saad with them compared to a Dakota Joshua and a Nathan Walker. But I also look at the faceoffs and say, well, he's also going to be working more with Steve Ott, which might benefit him there. If he's if he's starting at center, sorry to cut you off there. What's Shin doing? A winger. Oh, okay. I, th- I think the view from the Blues was that Shin is our center now, but Shin becomes a winger for us. Where's Barbie? Winger. Hmm. I think that he, I would I would trust either of those two guys over Logan Brown at the, center. The reason that I I wanted to talk about this when I was hearing Jamie talk of this yesterday is I, I think we're looking at it as Jake Neighbors is locked in as a third line winger with Braden Chen and Ivan Barbashev. I think there's some internal competition that will be Logan Brown fighting with Jake Neighbors to play the center position with Shen and Barbashev on the wings with him. And Jake Neighbors might start the year as a fourth line forward. And I don't think that's the worst thing in the world for Jake Neighbors to play with a guy like Noel Achari and to think about what your fourth line could look like if Klim Kostin plays well when you get Torpchenko back. You've got depth at that position. But it all comes down to Logan Brown hitting his peak and why I'm intrigued by him and why I think he's going to be one of the most intriguing names when it comes to full seasons with the team this year is anytime a player has come over and gone through a training camp and gotten that full work regime with this coaching staff of saying like, hey, we need you to fix these things in the offseason and come back and be better. They did it with Robert Thomas. They did it with Jordan Cairo. Heck, they did it a little with Justin Falk his first season compared to his second season. Those players seem to come back better. I'm not saying Logan Brown is going to become a guy who's fighting for top six minutes. But what I am saying is I think Logan Brown, if he hits his peak with this team, could force the Blues to play Braden Shen at a wing. And Logan Brown could be looking at top nine minutes. And Jake Neighbors could be fighting for a top nine role starting off on the fourth line. I think if that ends up happening, if Logan Brown wins that role on that third line, if you're telling me like, hey, it's going to be Logan Brown, um, probably Barbie, and then Shin on that line, I'm assuming is what you're kind of yeah. Because I think I think Saad and Kairou are going to be with O'Reilly and Buchnevich, Thomas and Tarasenko. I would just have uh, I would just have Shin being the center on that line. Now it's it's a marginal difference. I don't think it's a huge deal, but like if those are the three guys, I would I would just have Shin instead of moving him over to the wing. I would have him playing center. If you want to move him, I think the place that you move him is up to that line with Ryan O'Reilly potentially or putting him with Robert Thomas. But I, I think he should be the one that ends up center centering that line. 
Logan Brown, the reason why I find him interesting is because of what Jamie said there of, hey, he doesn't sound like a fourth liner to me. I think he's only battling for one spot. And if he doesn't earn that spot in training camp, I'm really curious to see what the plan is with him. Because he did sign that one-way deal, we talked about this previously with him, Alex. He's on a $750,000 contract. You could either move him in a deal like what you made to acquire him last year, just a a trade for some kind of a conditional pick. You could just outright release him. That that is something that could potentially happen here. Or you just keep him as one of your extras. That's also in play. I think that's probably the way that I think this ends up going because I do have faith that Jake neighbors ends up making the opening night roster. I think he will be somebody that they want in that top nine. I would like to see him on that line with a Braden shin. And when you have those guys on that line, I'm not sure that there ends up being a spot on your fourth line for Logan Brown because of the way that he profiles. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just the competition right now. At least the way that the Blues are going to be viewing it is we've got Jake Neighbors, we've got Logan Brown, and I don't think he profiles as this, but I would imagine they're probably telling him, like, this is your last shot. Clem Costin's in this conversation also. Like, if you three want to be a part of this team, you're not fourth-line players for us. There's a case for Jake Neighbors to start on the fourth line because that's how hockey teams usually view new players. Unless they're the top talents of the world, you're starting off and kind of getting incremental roles as the season goes along where it's like you're going to start on the PK, then you're going to get some power play time if somebody gets injured, and then you're going to get some more minutes as we go along. I just think they're going to view this as a competition of, look, we think Logan Brown is a third-line center for us who can create a lot of assists, a lot of offense. We know Braden Shen goes to the front of the net. You know Barbashev goes to the front of the net. Logan Brown could help that. But if he doesn't have a good training camp, I absolutely think they could view him as, look, you're just going to be an extra forward for us because I don't know if he's cracking your fourth line because they don't view him as a fourth line. But if he goes out and dominates a training camp and Jake Neighbors is good, they can say this is the best thing for us. Logan Brown is going to start because he's hot at third line for us. Jake Neighbors is going to be a fourth liner. And as we move along, you could see things some that, that shift around a little Who bit. Who do you think has a higher ceiling this year? This year? Yeah. I would say Logan Brown because I, I don't know if Jake Neighbors is more than a 10 to 15 goal scorer, at least in his first season. And I think Logan Brown has the potential to play power play minutes for you to be a two way forward at six foot six and also create a lot of offense. So I I would say higher potential this season is Brown moving forward. I really don't know. I mean, it's hard to argue when a guy was selected 11th overall in the draft. There's obviously some talent there that team saw Tanner. Where do you fall on that? Who do you think has a higher ceiling? Because I'm not looking at long term because I I think most of our audience would agree that long term, the guy that has a higher ceiling is is Jake Neighbors because it's taken so long for Logan Brown to get here now. But who would you say has the higher ceiling for just this individual season? I would lean towards Jake Neighbors. I I think Jake Neighbors has the higher ceiling. I know he's young and he's a kid and this would be just his first full season in the NHL, but I I don't see a much higher ceiling for Logan Brown than kind of what I saw last year. And I get it. He didn't play a lot. I mean, he was in 39 games last year, finished with 11 points. Like, that's kind of what I expect from Logan Brown. I think you're going to see like that spurt that we talked about when he first came up. I think it was where he went on a bit of a stretch. Where I was like, "Whoa, Logan Brown! Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, I can see why they're saying he's not a fourth liner." I, I don't, I don't see him being much of a major factor to where his ceiling's much higher to where Jake Neighbors can't su- succeed that with his high ceiling because of what Alex was saying. He was taking eleventh overall for a reason. I, I think Jake Neighbors is that guy. I think that I'm there. 
that's probably where I lean is that Jake Neighbors is the one that ends up having the higher ceiling going into the year. And if it's even close in camp, that's what I would lean towards is who do you think? And I don't know what the Blues think on this. Like they, they might lean to more towards where you're at, Alex, where uh, Craig Berube says at the end of camp, hey, this this is pretty close. I think that for this season, not long term, but for this season, Logan Brown is the one that ends up having the higher ceiling. Then go with Logan Brown. Like it could be wrong, and then you make the switch, and it's no big deal, no harm, no foul. But for me, if I'm in Craig Burby's spot, and everybody should be thrilled that I'm not, but if I was in his spot, the one that I would look at as having the higher ceiling, I, I would probably say is um, Jake Neighbors going into the season, and that's why I would like tie goes to the runner. Tie for me would always go towards Jake Neighbors. I think the way that Craig Berube is going to view Jake Neighbors this season is the way that he viewed Ivan Barbashev in his first season as head coach. A guy who can play on the fourth line, but is probably one of the best fourth liners in the National Hockey League with the potential to be a top nine guy. Yeah, I, I would just want him to play with with Braden Shin. Uh, that's who I think that everybody said he profiles as, and so I would want him well, being lived on with that. him. So I say he's got chemistry right. with him too. So. Uh, that's where I would want him to be. But I could definitely they they want that fourth line to be better this year. And if they say, hey, this is why we need Jake Neighbors down here, I get it. Especially before Alexi Torpchenko gets back. When Torpchenko returns, that's when this battle really heats up because that's when it could become a roster battle. For those two guys with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie coming up it at 130 play a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. But next, this is a swing week for both Illinois and Mizzou. Which of those two is more likely to come out on the positive side of things? We'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, it's a big week in college football, especially if you're a Mizzou or an Illinois fan Playoff with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I got to be honest with you guys. First of all, let's start on the Mizzou side of things. I love the fact that they're playing Kansas State this early in the season. They've done a few of these in the past where they played West Virginia early on. Uh, they've gone up in the past against an Arizona State, for example. They've had a few of these non-con games that are just really fun for fans, and you can learn a little something about your team early on. But so many of these teams just play the cupcakes early, right? You, you get it out of the way with the three or four early season non-con games, and by the end of September, you feel like you still have no idea what your team actually is going into the meat of your conference schedule. We're going to know a lot about Mizzou after this weekend against Kansas State. The Tigers go into K-State as a seven and a half point road underdog. Most of the experts are picking K-State. They are an excellent running team. They have one of the best defensive ends in the country. He was selected preseason to be the big 12 defensive player of the season. And if you're looking at Mizzou, one of their biggest weaknesses is at right tackle. Alex, what are you expecting this weekend? Because I think this is kind of a swing game for them. If they beat K-State on the road... I think all of this stuff that you said in the offseason about, hey, maybe this is an eight or a nine win team. I'm willing to start having that conversation. If they lose this, though, it's back into my wheelhouse of six to seven. But does that change if it's competitive? Because I feel like this one is going to be competitive between these two teams. No, because I expect it to be competitive. And if they're if they're able to win now, I can increase my win threshold because this is not a game I had them winning. Yeah. If they lose it and it's competitive, sure, we could talk about how Mizzou maybe is a little better than we expected going into the season, but I don't think that really changes much in terms of what I expect in the win total. Yeah, I, I, I'm optimistic about this one, and I understand with the defensive end and how good he is, and the offensive line was a little bit of a concern watching that game week one, but I think with what we saw with that offense and the explosiveness of a couple of those wide receivers, including Luther Burden, and the ability to kind of get out of 
danger if you're Brady Cook. I think the offense is going to be able to continue to produce the way that we're expecting it to. And defensively, I'm kind of at the point where I don't know what this team is defensively yet, and that's why I'm kind of intrigued with this matchup against K-State. But the real storyline coming from this is going to be offense versus Kansas State's defense, and that's why I feel like I'm optimistic with Mizzou because they do have these explosive playmakers. I'm glad you brought up their defense because we talked about it heading into that game uh, against Louisiana Tech. I had a bunch of transfers, and I thought some of those transfers looked really good. Yep. So Especially in the secondary. Tyron yeah. Hopper was awesome. I thought he was the best player on the field. And, and they're Linebacker. And you said Kansas State, they're going to run, run the ball a lot. That was the big Achilles heel for Missouri last year. And again, you weren't going to learn a lot against Louisiana Tech. This is the week you're going to learn about. It. You're going to see what that defense truly looks like when they're going up against a team like Kansas State. Because Kansas State wins this game, I truly believe they'll be in the top 25 going into week three. Agreed. Because it's a, it's not like Missouri's a big-time win for them. It's a solid win for them. But there's going to be top 25 teams that are going to get knocked out. Kansas State's been getting votes to get into the top 25. So... I think they move into the top 25 with a win here. Then the other two things I got an eye on is, you mentioned it, Alex, the offensive line. How do they look? BK, I know you said after the Louisiana Tech game, it's a big question mark going into the rest of the season. And then the other one for me is, and I said this after that game against Louisiana Tech, I'm intrigued to see how they get burdened involved in the offense even more because they, you know they were just going with kind of a vanilla game plan against Louisiana Tech. They're going to really open it up a little bit more against a team like Kansas State. I'm excited to see how they get Luther Burden involved with the offense. Do you think Mizzou starts getting some of those votes for the top 25 if they win this weekend because I'm with you if K-State wins this game I do think they end up in the top 25 after this week right now they're like seventh in line and the others receiving votes I think Mizzou then takes that spot if Mizzou ends up winning like they they are next week where Kansas State was this week and then you'd have to win the next game they're playing Abilene Christian that game doesn't matter and if they beat Auburn because Abilene Christian's really good on the road September 24th uh, on a Saturday I would assume that's probably going to be a Saturday night down in uh, at Jordan no Jordan Hare Stadium that's when I think you actually get into the top 25 but if Mizzou wins this weekend, do you think they get into the others receiving votes? Yeah, I think they put themselves into K-State spot, like you just said. Yeah. Especially if you're taking down a, a defensive player who is considered one of the best in their conference this season. And yeah, I, I think you put yourself in that conversation. And I mean, by the end of the fourth week, you could be talking about a 4-0 start. That's when you start to get top 25 considerations. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think they would get into that conversation in terms of receiving votes I'm not sure Auburn will be the game in which if you beat them then you get the votes to get into the top 25 maybe it would be I I think Auburn's gonna I think they lose to Penn State I think Penn State's their last real test before they start the SEC game against Missouri I don't think a lot of people have a lot of big hopes around Auburn because Auburn nearly fired their coach this past offseason so you know it's a dumpster fire there I think what it would have to take, and they ain't going to beat Georgia, sorry, but they're not because that's who they play after Auburn. I think it would probably take to like week six or seven, like beating Florida on the road would be the game if you have only one loss. Yeah. To me, that's when you'd get into the top 25. But I do think if they beat Kansas State, you're going to see some people start to go, whoa, they just took down a team that I thought was a top 25 team. Maybe I'm look undervaluing Missouri. I'll go put some votes on them. On the Illinois side of things, Virginia is terrible defensively. Now, they're okay on offense. They, they're going to put put up some points this week, and I would assume against Illinois, they're awful offensively. And so this week for me, Tanner, I think is more about Illinois' defense than it is the offense. I think we now kind of know what the offense is going to be. DeVito is what he is. He's fine. He, I, I think he can be a slightly lesser version of Brady Cook. Like, I think they're not all that dissimilar. I think Cook adds a little bit more when it comes to his legs. But as throwers of the football, I think they're pretty similar. They're both going to be around that 200 to 250 range in terms of passing yards most weeks. 
and they are excellent on the ground with with Colin Brown. He's he's a stud. Um, I've got serious questions though about, or excuse me, Chase Brown. I've got serious questions about what their defense is going to be able to do against Virginia. Last week they completely melted down at the end of the game. That's my big question this week going into Virginia, and I hope they're able to step up because they need to. See, I think I'm I'm not as concerned about the defense. I think the defense has looked really good in the last two games, and I know they gave up the big drive to Bazelak. That was one of those where, it, like, I felt that was coming because what do you see with defenses most likely in the last two minutes of a game? They back off, they got conservative, and next thing you know, Indiana's got all this momentum. They get down the field and they score a touchdown. I think the defense has looked really good, and I agree. Virginia does have a pretty good offense, and the thing that concerns me is I don't think the offense can keep up. I think the defense does their part and holds Virginia to, like, 24 points, keeps it in that range to where with a decent offense you should be able to kind of keep the game close. My fear is I don't think the offense is going to be able to do much. I get it. They can run the ball, but I'm not sold on DeVito. I, I, I'm not big on him through the first two games. I'm not sold games. on Virginia. <laughs> I'm not either, but I'm not sold on the offense I'm enough not to sold make on me. Illinois. I mean, either. Uh, I, I just have I have more questions on if the offense can kind of keep get you like the 24 point range. And I get it. Virginia's bad defensively, but it's not like this offense for Illinois is like blowing anybody away. That's, true. I, that's why I fear that this, even though Illinois is favored, I fear this is going to be. Kind of a slugfest. Like, I think it could be like 27 17, 27 20, somewhere in that range in favor of Virginia. Here's final question on these two games. Which team do you think is more likely that we come in on Monday and say, I'm feeling optimistic about that team after what we saw this week? Oh, Missouri. Is it Missouri. Illinois or Mizzou? Mizzou. Missouri. Missouri. I, Man, the Illinois guy said that before I could even say it. Yeah. I, Missouri's got weapons offensively. I, I like their defense too. But again, my biggest question mark if you look at Missouri and Illinois and these being the big swing games, I, I just don't trust the Illinois offense enough to do anything in terms of being able to keep them in that game. I think the Missouri offense, I, I'm I'm not saying Brady Cook's like a top-level SEC quarterback. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. You, if you can get the ball in Burden's hands, you've got a decent offense. And then the defense, I liked what I saw. I think Missouri and Illinois' defenses are kind of similar from what I've seen through the first couple of games. The offense is where I think the big standing point is for me, and that's why I would say Missouri. If you haven't already made your football picks, well, you, you missed one. Um, but you can go ahead and sign up right now on at 101ESPN.com. Make your football picks each week. See if you can defeat the fast lane and the dudes from the Rizzuto Show at 1057 The Point. The weekly top scores will receive a $50 gift card to Schnooks and a Bud Light prize pack of football swag. The fast lane and the race show throwing down all football season long in the Pick'em Challenge. Get signed up to play right now at 101ESPN.com. It's all courtesy of Bud Light and Schnooks Reward. Coming up in 15 minutes, will the BK and Ferrario rewind and a four pack of tickets will be given away to see next week's Budweiser bash for Cardinals versus Brewers. But next you give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Attention to all of Scott Air Force Base. If you're a service member, a member of their family, or anybody else currently on base, you can join the Fast Lane today. Coming up from 2 to 6. And oh, by the way, if you hop on over there right now, 
they might be recording a podcast live with the Rizzuto show. So I'd recommend going over there, checking them out for military appreciation. There's a live broadcast happening right now over at the exchange at Scott Air Force Base. It's all brought to you by Budweiser, Air Comfort, Heating and Cooling, and Hero Loan. If it's not good enough to just go over there and see the guys from the fast lane, how about this? You also have a chance to win some tickets to see Alice in Chains. So plenty of stuff to do over there today at Scott Air Force Base. I know this is something that they love to do each and every year. All right, let's get into One's Gotta Go. 65780 is your comfort service text line. One's Gotta Go Adam Sandler movie edition on Adam Sandler's 56th birthday oh, today. Buddy. Happy birthday to the Sandman. Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, Billy Madison, or Waterboy. Which one Alex has got to go? Um... I'm not getting rid of Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison. Those two are like the goat. So it comes down to Waterboy or Big Daddy. And I'm going to get rid of Waterboy because there's more quotable moments in Big Daddy for me. I love both films, but Big Daddy has more moments that I still quote. Can we get the kid a Happy Meal? <laughs> also, I kind of put myself in his shoes like these days. That's like you said that before. I, it happens. So, yeah, I'm going to get rid of Waterboy. But I wiped my own ass. <laughs> Tanner, if Tanner had seen the Scoo movie, scene, he would have laughed. Damn you! Uh, I, yeah, I've only seen one of these. Such a good movie. It is. I'm That's gonna, my favorite. I'm going to keep Big Daddy. That's one that you guys always Can I guess keep which one you've seen? Referencing me. Yeah. Is it Billy Madison? No. Waterboy. He's definitely seen yeah, Waterboy. You're a football no. guy. Waterboy. No. Jeez. Happy Gilmore? Yeah, I am. Because I'm a big golf How guy. How is that the one, only one you've seen? I don't remember why we watched it, but I remember watching it while we were traveling somewhere. But that one's got to stay for me because, of course, the only one I've seen. I'll Couldn't keep, take listening I'll to keep, Mima on the road trip, huh? Yeah. I'll, I'll keep uh, Big Daddy in there because you guys it's one you guys always recommend. And then I want to see Waterboy over Billy Madison. So I'm going to get rid of Billy it. Madison. You're I think Waterboy would be the one that I get rid of. You're making a mistake, man. Billy Madison is so much better. All of these are good. Don't get me wrong. But the ones that I would say are the most rewatchable for me are Big Daddy 1, Happy Gilmore 2, Billy Madison 3, and then Waterboy would be... Pretty distant fourth for me out of these four. Billy Madison is number one for me because it still makes me laugh to this day. Like <laughs> when when Miss Lippy puts the, the glue over her face <laughs> in the classroom, it kills me every time. And then dodgeball, it gets me every time, man. Uh, one's got to go. Cardinals rookie edition. Lars Newbar, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, or Andre Pallante. Which one's got to go? Newt, Donnie, Gorman, or Pallante? I think I'm going to get rid of Pallante here. Ooh, I like the offense from all three of them, even though sometimes it's short sample size. But I got a lot of pitchers. I think I'll get rid of Palante. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I'm agreeing with Alex here. I think I'd get rid of wow. Palante. I, Gorman, I think, going to got 30 home run potential. Remember the T-Bone three? Now. I know. Donovan was too, though. So Donovan, and I love Donovan's game. Lars Newpar, I think he's a solid defender. I think he's more of a fourth outfielder. Palante get, can't get right-handed batters out, which is bizarre. So... I think I have to get rid of Andre Pallante here, which feels strange to say. He's been an unsung hero. Are we getting rid of them now for the playoff run, or are we doing this for the offseason? I'd say that was I think not those a are part two of different it. answers. I think it's all both. I'll, I'll get both. I'll say for the playoff run, Pallante is probably the guy that I'm getting rid of. Yeah. If we're doing this in the offseason, I think Newt is probably the answer Agreed. for me. Because I, I like Lars Newpar, don't get me wrong, but I do think long term he's a fourth outfielder, and I think we're seeing some of that right now. I, this is not a shot of Lars Newpar. I know it always comes off as being that, but Lars Newpar is a really nice player that you want to have while he's on his rookie contract. And then you let him walk and go let him spread his wings elsewhere. This is what the Dodgers did with Jock Peterson. Keep him there while he's in his rookie deal. You love having him. He's kind of that fourth outfielder platoon type of bat. I think Lars Newpar might even have more value because he's so great defensively in right field as well. 
but he, he's he's a fourth outfielder. And those guys have less value than somebody like a Palante who can kind of go in and out of your rotation if needed. So those would be my two answers, depending on which time we're doing this. One's got to go pasta edition, Alex. Ravioli, fettuccine, lasagna, or spaghetti. Well, fettuccine and lasagna aren't going anywhere. I made myself a nice chicken fettuccine last night, T-Bone. Oh, let me tell you, the one-year-old loved it. I would, too. I think I'm going to get rid of the ravioli here. Because I'm actually not a fan of just ravioli. Toasted ravioli is my way to go. Like, just ravioli, you got to make it right with the right uh, red sauce. Sometimes you don't stuff them correctly. Well, all of these are necessary. I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my mind. Get rid of spaghetti. Spaghetti's boring compared to these other three. Spaghetti's got to go. Lasagna is good. You got kind of the layers. You've got the ravioli, which is good. Uh, what was the other? Oh, the fettuccine one. That one's really good. I, you gotta give her spaghetti. It's yeah, still just kind of boring. Blah. What yeah. kind of sauce do you typically eat with uh, with fettuccine? White. White. Yeah. Is it a white creamy substance? Yeah. You know I'm out on all of that. You're you're I'm in, out. You're insane. <laughs> Every, fettuccine everyone loves is definitely the, the one that's got to go for me. Everyone loves fettuccine. I would prefer a red sauce over a white sauce any day of the week. Oh, I, I think I like white sauce better. Uh, it depends a on the meal. Good red sauce. I should clarify here. Yeah, but it also depends on the meal. Like I would take a red sauce lasagna over anything, but I would take a white sauce pasta over. Like Mm-mm. spaghetti or ravioli. White, creamy, yeah. gelatinous substances, all of them got to go. One's got to go home improvement How edition. How do you live, sir? A new kitchen, a new bathroom, a new deck, or a new man cave? Which one's got to go, Alex? New bathroom's got to go. I don't care. I just need the toilet and the bathtub and the sink. Yeah. Move on with this one. All the other ones, like man cave would be number one. I think deck would be number two. Kitchen would be number one for me. Kitchen's oh, really? just kitchen's yeah. just a lot of an investment and a lot of work. The other two, like I think you can. Let's assume that this is somebody else doing it for no, you, I and know. money is no option. That's why I mean, because I'm like... not touching my deck. <laughs> Deck's actually the easiest one to like do yourself. Now it might not be done properly, but like yeah. it's the easiest one to do yourself. Then you the go to sell ones... your home. You have the inspection done. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you got to completely <laughs> demolish this and start. The other new. ones are so much cosmetic, but yeah, bathrooms got to go. I'm with you there. I think bathroom's got to go. I think number one for me would it's definitely the man cave. Number two for me clearly would be the deck. I, I wouldn't mind getting one. I fear if I step on my deck, I'm going to fall through. But two, just because I like being outside, so I wouldn't mind being able to go sit out there a lot. So, And then the the kitchen, I, I could care less about if the kitchen is done right, but the bathroom for sure. Just give it like Alex. Give me the toilet. Give me the sink. Give me the shower. That's all I need. It just depends. Am I staying in this home for the rest of my life or am I selling this house? Because if I'm staying in this home forever... You've got a lot of, like, caveats to your yeah, answer. You really it's, do, it's man. Important. It's important. you got to think these things through, man. These are big life decisions What's here. What's the and temperature one's go. outside for my food? <laughs> Someone said, doesn't touch his deck, hates white substance, and super suspicious, BK. Well, you kind of seem like a super suspicious kind of dude. I, I know that to be true. Seems like is... a guy who walks around with a bow tie a lot. Yeah, I can consider it. No, I... I... I can't do the whole bow tie thing. Two things I don't trust in this world. People I don't who do only carry ties. cash and people who wear clip-on ties. I never have cash on me. Or bow never. ties. Um, all right. If I am staying in the house forever, the one that's got to go is... Is it, is it the kitchen? B- 636. BK's ditching the kitchen because he's still mad at that garbage disposal. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, I think it would be the new bathroom. I'm with you guys. I can deal with whatever for the bathroom. If I am going to sell the house, though, the new man cave is what I'm getting rid of because it adds the least value to my house. So that would be the way that I would look at it. 65780 is the air All comfort these, service. Like, specifics and Jesus, man, after, just pick an answer. After running through the numbers, uh, I've which decided. One, which one can I go with the advanced analytics on the man cave per time set? 
What's the war bacon? Oh, that'd be in the kitchen. Nerd. <laughs> you guys done? What's the ratio to soap no, bars no, versus garbage disposal reset buttons? If it's cold outside, I oh, what? I'd like, oh, a, I'd a like a ravioli. I don't need that. Where'd this voice come from? There's no soy in my kitchen that I use to cook, uh -huh, so I probably on. would get rid of the kitchen. Enough of that. All right, last one. <laughs> One's got to go AFC quarterback edition. Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, or Burrow? Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Burrow. 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 Sorry, guys. I'm getting rid of... I get the sidearm with Mahomes. You got the beefiness of Josh Allen. Uh, huh. Herbert or... I think I'm going to get rid of... I think I'm going to get rid of Herbert here. I got Herbert and Josh Allen already. I don't need Herbert 2.0. Or Allen 2.0. That's what I said. I think Book I'm... It. I think I'm going to get rid of Burrow, too. Mahomes, you know what he is. Allen looks like he's going to win an MVP this year. And then I know Burrow got to a Super Bowl. I think Justin Herbert's got the higher ceiling than him, but he just hadn't had the complete team around him in the coaching. So I think I'd get rid of Joe Burrow as well. Last one here. One's got to go. 2021 NFL playoff teams for the 2022 season. Which one's got to go? The Cincinnati Bengals. V. Dallas Cowboys, the LA Rams, or the San Francisco 49ers. Rams, 49ers, Bengals, who was the fourth? Or the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused by this. So the, the, the Bengals, Cowboys, the for this season, Cardinals, 49ers. Which one year. of those teams is going to miss it this year? Yeah. 49ers. I think the 49ers have a, uh, a personality issue. They don't know who the hell they are. Is it Jimmy G? Is it Trey Lance? Which one's our quarterback? I'm getting rid of the 49ers. Yeah, I'm getting rid of the 49ers as well. Kind of the point of Alex. But I, that feels like a powder keg ready to explode because Trey Lance is going to get the start. He struggles. Fans are going to clamor for Jimmy G. You heard, I think it was Trey Lance said somewhere, it was reported that Trey Lance said he didn't like the idea of Jimmy G coming back and was shocked that they brought him back. And you just don't know what you're going to get out of a guy that hasn't started a game in like two years. So I think they're the ones that miss the playoffs. I think I think that goes south quickly, and I wonder if Kyle Shannon's going to be on the hot seat. Cowboys, get them up out of here. I'm worried about them. All of these injuries have me officially off of the Cowboys hype train, which means you should probably put some money on them over on the FanDuel Sportsbook to make the playoffs this year. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next week's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Brewers and what the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to win a four-pack of tickets to next week's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus the Brewers, Tuesday, September 13th. Next week's Budweiser Bash giveaway features a limited edition Jim Cott bobblehead. Get all the, the details for the final Budweiser Bash of the season at Bush Stadium now at cardinals.com slash promotions. But right now, 65780 is the air cover service sex line. If you are texter number 101 and you can tell us how the gentleman tried to propose earlier today. What did he just complete? If you can tell us what he had just completed, you were texture number 101 at 65780. You're 
going to Cardinals versus Brewers next Tuesday night for their final Budweiser bash. All right, let's hit the BK and Ferrario rewind. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's start where we finished. Alex, how worried are you about these Adam Wainwright blowups? And going into this weekend series, is there a way in your mind where Wayno could end up playing his way out down the stretch of the wild card rotation? I don't think there's a way he can play himself out of the wild card rotation this week. I think that will be determined maybe two or three more starts. I, as it stands right now, I'm putting it at like a three of concern with Adam Wainwright, three or a four. But I mean, back-to-back starts and then the two previous starts before where he's given up four runs in back-to-back, he did give up two in each. One of them was a really good start against the Atlanta Braves. It's just trending in the wrong direction for me. I'm still not concerned with Adam Wainwright, but it is something I'm keeping an eye on. And if he has two or three more outings like that, I do think you'd have to have a conversation, but it also relies upon what those other guys are doing too, because that, that Adam Wainwright might be better than what the Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis looks like. Yeah, I, I'm at a zero on the panic scale. No no concerns for me at all. I think these were just two really bad games for Adam Wainwright. He's going to find it, whether it be in a bullpen session or his next start. And maybe it was just his opponents he was playing. I don't want to say Adam Wainwright just takes an opponent lightly, but we can all admit the September schedule has been kind of brutal to watch because there hasn't been as much competition. His next couple starts will be against teams that are in the race for the playoff hunt. you got Milwaukee. He'll get a start in San Diego or in L.A. I, I have no concerns. Will he work his way out of the wild card round rotation i can't see that at all i just don't know how you sell that could he work to where he's maybe starting game two or three instead of game one that's possible but as alex said that just depends on what everybody else looks like in the rotation that's kind of where i'm at i would be shocked if he doesn't end up in your wild card rotation like could he be your number two your game two starter maybe uh, maybe um montgomery plays his way into starting game number one for you have wayno number two and one of Michaelis or Flaherty, probably Flaherty, honestly, at this point for me, if he continues showing what we expect to see down the stretch. And that's the next thing that I wanted to get to. Jack Flaherty's back on the mound tomorrow, taking on the Pittsburgh Pirates at PNC. Uh, let's be honest, like uh, this is not a lineup that you're going to learn a ton about Jack against, but they've got a couple hitters in their lineup that are that are OK. If you give a mistake pitch to O'Neill Cruz, that dude's going to hit it a, a mile away. We've, we've seen that from him at times this season. What are you expecting out of Jack next in his next start? What do you want to see out of Jack tomorrow? Honestly, kind of the same as what he was in his first start. Maybe a little bit more length with Jack Flaherty. Like, I'd like to see seven innings if you can get there with him. But in all reality, it's the strikeout stuff. I'd like to see north of six strikeouts with Jack Flaherty and the walks to a minimum. Because if I get seven innings, if I get north of five strikeouts and close to one walk, maybe less... That's the Jack Flaherty that I was expecting to be back. But if you're still getting five innings and giving up a run or two and putting himself in a bad position, I'd start to be more concerned that Jack might not be at the level you were hoping he was. I, I'm with Alex. I want to see the swing and miss stuff. I think five innings is good for Jack Flaherty still in just his second start. Also, that's what I'm asking for my starters in the playoffs. Give me five solid innings where I feel comfortable to turn things over to the bullpen. So as long as he's got the swing and miss stuff, I see composure from him on the mound like I did in his first start and don't see what I saw in the past where it is, okay, he starts missing, then he can't find it, and then it starts, you see it wearing on him on the mound. As long as it's not that way, I'll be happy with what you get from Jack Flaherty. That's the biggest thing for me. I want to see the command improve. Because last time, last time out, we saw he's got the swing and miss stuff. That is there. And when he needs to rear back, he's still got it. Even at 96-ish miles an hour at times, he was able to get the velocity up and he was able to get his swing and miss stuff back the way that we all had previously seen from Jack Flaherty. 
the issue was the command. He was getting behind in counts. He's getting to like 2-0 regularly. The first man was getting on more often than you would have liked in his first outing. That's what I want to see him improve. Just be more efficient out there. Even if that still means five, maybe six innings, that's fine. You, you can deal with that. You've got guys at the back end of your bullpen that can pick him up. I want to see him be more efficient and to throw more strikes, have better command of his stuff going into this game against the Pirates. We will be back with you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. Looking forward to reacting to a big weekend in college football. Both the Illini and Mizzou have swing games this weekend. You've got a three-game set in Pittsburgh for the Cardinals. And then, of course, the first Sunday slate of the NFL season to react to as well. Plenty to get into. Excited to do that on Monday. Coming up from 2 to 6 is the Fast Lane. We'll talk to you guys next week here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors, We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.